This podcast was recorded live on December 2nd at 10.30 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. You can follow our Facebook group with SJH Podcast Family to get notified when we are going live and engage in discussions we have throughout the week. You can see this and other videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. Hudson, let's go ahead and start with you, brother. I uh, I want to say, uh, you know, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving uh, to you guys and to, and to the audience out there. Um, and anyone who ends up uh, listening later on, I hope uh, everyone had a great Thanksgiving or, or whatever it is that they celebrate uh, during that time. Um, uh, for me, it was, a, it was a nice holiday. Got a lot of food, which is always what I enjoy. Uh, a lot of great food. We did it up real nice over here. And by we, I mean, I mean, my wife, you know, I watched the kids. She did the thing in the kitchen. So, you know, that was the trade off. So I didn't really help that much except eat it. So nothing really happened this week or, or last week. No, no real big events. But I will say that I was thinking hard about something that Sam and Sam travel, a question that uh, that she put out which was, if your significant other doesn't want to travel, would you still travel? You know, and and I thought to myself, I would have to try to make her because I I think of all these different places that I would want to take my wife in. Notice I said take her in, not, you know, not take her to, you know what I mean? Like like I want like a bucket list of places where I would want to, you know, have a coitus and things like that. And thinking about this, I'm like, I mean, what better? And I'm not talking about like any old regular place. Like, I'm not talking about like go to Detroit, you know, and, and I got to do it there. I mean, who cares about Detroit? You know, I'm talking about I want to go to, I want to go to, you know. Hey. <laughs> yeah, honey, let's go to Holiday Inn in Detroit. We're going to do it up big. You know, I'm talking about going to France or, or Italy or, you know, Rome, something like that. You know, I like want to be. Like those, uh, like I want my travel life to be like those romance novels. You know, I want to be able to tell stories when I'm older. Like, yeah, we were, we were relaxing in the hot steaming hot tub, you know, with a glass of wine, with <laughs> with sweat beads coming off our brows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, and the air was brisk. You know, um, but it did nothing to stop my phallus. You know, you know something like that. Wow. <laughs> you know, I want. Wow. I want to be like one of those uh, novels. So I thought to myself, you know, I gotta create a bucket list. I gotta create. A, I'm not talking about a bucket list of things to do, but bucket list of places to go where I want to take my wife and, um, you know, keep it PG so I can enjoy my time with her, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm going to have to PJ about this conversation. (laughs) I just got to think that I got to think that y'all fellas got some places y'all want to take your wives to and, and, you know, (laughs) do all sorts of things, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking that's what I want to do, you know? So that was my thoughts on the week. 
I appreciated the topic. So, you know, it made me think, yeah, I, you know, I might be trying to do some travel when this whole COVID thing gets under control. All right. Uh, I got to make a statement first. Uh, there are plenty of places I want to go with y'all, but if that's what your mission is, please make that a private trip. I don't, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't cause, okay, because because for the last couple of weeks I had been thinking about this too. Like I want, I want a whole SJH family little vacation trip. Uh, this was going to be something I was going to sit down and talk to y'all about at some point in time, hopefully for the new year so we can get to like the plans and stuff like that kind of in motion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I'm thinking like going to Disney world and I don't, I don't, I don't want to be around if that's what your plan is, Hudson. I, it kind of would ruin the magic kingdom for me. <laughs> it really would. I really do. Like I, I don't, and then knowing my luck, I'll have a room right next to yours or something like that. Then I got to sit there with my wife and what's going on over there. First of all, stop paying attention to what's going on behind this wall. I'm trying to black it out as much as it's possible. I'm trying to go to bed. <laughs> I don't, and then because I know you, you'll wake up the next morning, come stand out front of the room with that look you be doing after you done did. And then they turn and look at me as I'm coming out my room. And I'm, no, I don't, I don't want that. So I, I pray for you to have that own private trip, that honeymoon with your wife. And I want that to be one of your own. Look here, I just first wanna, off, first uh-huh. off, I'm talking about places like, like Bangladesh or, you know, or Cairo or something like that. <laughs> Bangladesh? Bangladesh. That seems appropriate. I don't know why. It just sounds right. Oh, no. You have dreams of taking to your wife and having amazing sex with her in Bangladesh? Bangladesh, yeah. Think yeah. about no doggone Disneyland or, you know, Florida, California. Come on now, you know. Talk about okay, do that's it, fair. Do it big. Wow. That's fair, and I, I just, wow. I just wanted to put that out there. That's all. I just, I just wanted it in the air, just in case. You know, once we get this plan, you, you planning on doing something like that? I'm gonna need you to do an outside trip before we go there and get that out your system. But Disney World <laughs> is where you would want to go, Jason. I per well, I okay. So I just took the family two years ago, like literally when I woke up this morning. Like, it jumped on my little, you know, the Facebook memories or whatever. So, like, literally this time last year, we were in Disney World. And, like, for me, it was it was a big deal for me because it was something that I really wanted to get my kids down there to share. Because it was something that we did when I was a kid. Like, my pop, like, the first time we went was when my grandmother was still alive. And we drove down there, had a ball, and it was a cool thing. And, I'm, you know, most of the stuff that my pops did with me, I'm like, I have to do it with mine. So, that was a big deal. And since I've become an adult and since I've had such good friends such as you gentlemen for the last 20 so years, that's always been kind of like a, like, like something that's been in my head. Like we all got our families, we all got our wives, we got our kids. Let's all get together and let's, let's take a trip. You know what I mean? So that's, that's been a big deal for me. Uh, otherwise I, I'm trying to get my wife back to Vegas because uh, it's still been that the last time we went, <laughs> was when she was pregnant with Junior. And Samori remembers this well, that my wife wasn't very happy the, the whole time. <laughs> she was just pregnant and really couldn't do anything. Neither one of you seemed to be particularly happy, to be honest with I you. I had a ball, <laughs> personally. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, after I realized that me having a ball and my wife was, I was very unattuned. I wasn't in tune with my wife at the time. And I didn't realize how miserable she was. And just the fact that she just couldn't have a good time. 
I'm really mm-hmm. trying to plan a trip back to Vegas for just me and her. I mean, if all y'all, if we all go, like you know, the last time we went, it was our it was our first yeah. wedding anniversary when we went out and I took her. So you know, and we went with you and Sam, and we had a, we had, I, well, I had a good time, but unfortunately, you know, my wife couldn't do much because she was five months pregnant at the time. So I, I guess right. I'm yeah. guessing by the time y'all found out, you couldn't cancel the trip. Or, or uh, well, I mean, yeah, we had you know we had paid for all that stuff and whatnot well beforehand and stuff, and mm. you know I, you know, we we were, it was only a year of marriage, so you know what I mean. How was that where you are where you're talking about this Bangladeshian coitus <laughs> fest? Look at the half. That's, that's where I was with my wife when we was you know we was getting it in and she got pregnant, so you know. It, it, it just it's just like we, we got to go to Vegas. We to pay for the tickets and stuff already. If we skip out, Sam and Samora will never talk to us again. <laughs> so, you know, we hopped on the plane. We went. We had, you know, she had a nice moderate time as much as a five-month pregnant, you know, woman can do. Just, you know, you know Vegas. It's, it's about drinking. and I had a great time when we went to Vegas. But I would say we're probably going to have to wait a little bit before we can go back to have a really good time. Well, it depends on what kind of Vegas you want. Uh, A friend of mine, my barber, actually recently uh, made a trip back to Vegas. And he has pictures of, you know, downtown Vegas and some of the really popping areas that are basically ghost towns right now. Mm -hmm. Like there's literally nobody there. And we're talking about dead of night, Friday night. You know, everything should be lit and everything should be going on. It is a dead zone, you know. So if your idea of Vegas is it being popping and lit and there'd be a whole bunch of people around everywhere, and you know, you know, just pack wall to wall, then now is not the time. However, if you love the idea of a Vegas where y'all are pretty much by yourselves and you can get into anywhere you want to go and you ain't got to worry about lines anywhere, that this actually might be the perfect time to go ahead and make a trip. It depends on what kind of Vegas mm-hmm. you're looking for. Ten for one. <laughs> Ten for one drink specials. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. As, as exactly. much as I would love to walk around an empty strip and whatnot, I know I'm I'm good on waiting Like I, like, like with everything that's going on right now and then hopefully with this, these vaccines that they just approved and stuff. Uh, thank God they letting like the medical professionals take it first. So right. I'm, I'm willing to take their, their cue from it on what they get on how, you know, how they react to it and whatever the side effects and stuff. Are. I have not read up on any of those yet, right. but uh, cause I'm assuming they're going to go medical professionals and they're going to go to essential people like, you know, police officers and firefighters and stuff like that. Next. Eventually, right. uh, the general public will probably be somewhere like fourth, fifth down the line somewhere. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, with, with that taking place and hopefully it's something that's good. I, I actually I'm, I don't I don't want to shit on it and I'm not I'm not throwing Trump into it or nothing like that. I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be something that will be beneficial to get like things back to normal. So I'd say in the next year, I'd say probably most of next year will go is going to be used to try to get it out to everybody and make people feel comfortable with it. So mm-hmm. hopefully by the end of next year, like my, my birthday is in October. I'm hoping October next year I can go to Vegas, mm-hmm. you know, one way or another. And that will actually be a nice time, you know? Yeah. So for me, places that uh, I love to go, I'm with Jason. I'd love to go back to Vegas. 
Um, that'd be awesome. Um, I've always wanted to go to real Mexico. Every time my wife and I, and I go, we go to the resort, you know, where we're basically cut off from everything else and we're just laying on the beach, which is nice. It's a nice, relaxing vacation. But I've always wanted to be able to go to real Mexico where you can, you know, walk down the street to one of them little streetcars with that are where they're making tacos right there on the corner. And, you know, you can eat tacos and you can talk to the people that are there. And I understand that Mexico is, can be a very dangerous place mm. and that, <laughs> but, but I'm kind of at the point that I don't care. Like, I, I want to have, like, a, a boys' vacation, you know, where we go to one of them really, really dangerous spots like Tijuana or something Wait, like that. Wait, hold on. Which boy? Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You know which boys. Wait, wait, <laughs> My fellas right here. Wait. My six-foot fellas right here, you know what I'm saying, that could be on either side and help make sure nothing goes down. I want to be in. Real Mexico eating that real Mexican food with the real and cartel talking with, with the with the real gun. Them cartel, them cartel boys don't care nothing about us. We ain't we ain't connected like that. You know what I'm saying? I want to talk to the people that really live there and get a sense of the culture and learn more about what real Mexico Dude, is like. When the cartel well, now, wants mules. They don't want people who are connected. No. What research are they doing to, to bet us is not as anything important? That's my whole thing. Look, like, what these motherfuckers doing? Look, Let's get them. <laughs> they, they ain't going to consider us anything to be worth uh, worth bothering with. Okay, y'all? We just going to go there. We're going to have a few drinks. We're going to have some fantastic tacos, and it's going to be an awesome time. And that's why it only be a couple of days. We wouldn't spend like a whole week there. We just go a couple of days, bump around, talk to folks, have a good time, and be right, be right back up to the States. Here's what, here's what so, I will suggest on that. Uh, <laughs> I work with a few Latin people uh, yep. who have gone home and who have gone. and I'd like to consult some people before we make that move. Just you know, you do that. Like, hey, uh, we were thinking about going here. What do you think? Like, you know, maybe we should. Maybe you should, like, rethink. Look, and and when you have this conversation with them, let them know the most important thing to me is the food. I want some authentic Mexican food, and most importantly, I want that street corner food. I want to be able to walk and get them street corner tacos, like fresh off, fr fresh off the cart. All right. Okay, here, you know what I'm saying? So I want that kind of place. Here's what I'm going to express to the audience. I'm talking to the audience right now. You know, I'm, you know, uh, anybody who's followed the show knows that I, I've recently turned 40. You know, uh, Jason, you're you're at that 40, right? 41. You know, now, 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 Samori's a little too young to be having his midlife crisis. But when you start talking about doing dangerous activities, you know, like bungee jumping, skydiving, and going to the real Mexico. Go get down in the real, you know, where the real taco stands are. It's a little bit midlife crisis type here. Yeah, I don't know. It's not at all. I have actually wanted to go to Mexico uh, like this since I was in my early 20s. I just never felt like I had an opportunity to go. And I'm a person who loves culture. I, I love to experience something completely new. And I also love food. So I'm the type of person who I always want to experience the real culture of food that I love. 
So I've always wanted to go to real Mexico. I've always wanted to go to India, even though I keep hearing that you can't even drink the water in India, that it'll just mess up your insides. I don't care. I still want to go. I still want to find out what real authentic Indian food is like. And I want to find out what it's like to talk to the people that are in India. Like for me, like culture and food is directly connected and it motivates me to want to go visit these places. And it affects me even more when it comes to Mexico, because, again, I've been there two or three times and I never got the real thing. I always got the sitting on a resort, disconnected from everything real around you. Poverty, probably five blocks in any direction. But you're sitting on this beach, you know, surrounded by, by these other rich white folks. Like, I don't want that. I want to go there and be amongst the people. And and find out what it's really like. And I agree with you, Jason, that we need to figure out a way to do this in a way that makes sense and is it isn't stupid. Faith. But I still I still want to get faith. it done. Why, why are you why are you dancing around the word faith? Because you've already Bro, said dangerous. Borrow <laughs> Americans cross the border and go to Tijuana for a weekend and go back home safe all the time. All yeah. the time. And some cross the border and go about. and don't come back all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so. Look, I also don't want to make it seem like I'm stuck on Mexico. Um, I also have, uh, in addition to India, I have also always wanted to go um, to Africa. And really, you could pick just about any place in Africa. But I want to go to a place where almost everything top to bottom is run by black people. And everywhere I go, I'm going to see black people in power and authority. And for them, it's not strange. You know, I want to spend a week in a place where it's like that, where everywhere I go, where I walk with my kids, they see people who look just like them, who really own and run something and are in charge of something. I think that would be such a magical, incredible experience for me, you know, and my family. So I would love to make a trip of that. On the Africa tip, only place I want to go is where they was snatching white people's land from them. <laughs> only place I want to visit. They, I, I really just want to know what that was like. I want to talk to some of them folks about that. Like, what did it feel like snatching land from white people? That's, that, that's the only real thing. I just had that one question. Maybe grab something to eat, some curry goat or something like that. I'm back on the plane. Otherwise, I'm, I'm good on Africa. And it's not that, and it's not that I have like old antiquated thoughts of Africa, like it's just you know monkeys and shit running around all the place, and it's horrible. I realize right. they have cities, they have they have modern life and everything like that. I I just never had like the I don't know. I just never had the want or like the instinct to be like you know what I want to go visit Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm I I really want to go to Europe. Like the first place, like I, I want to take that first obvious spot right off the plane. I want to hit England. And I know you already took this trip, Samori. So I, that's that's what really got me. No, you didn't go to England, but you've been what Italy? You guys? I, I went, went to, to Rome, Rome. I went to Paris. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I went. We went to uh, wherever the Tower of Pisa is. I want to take that European tour, and I want to start off in England. I want to see mm-hmm. them sites like Big Ben and all the other good stuff. But like, I really want to hit like one of them pubs and whatnot that's got like the uh, what? What do they call the uh, the so- soccer hooligans? I really want to check that out because that just seems like it's cool. The trip we could do together, you know, whenever you're ready to go up there, I really, really, really want to go to London. 
Specifically, I want to take Samantha to London because there are so many things that she loves that originates in London. Like we're both huge fans of the Harry Potter series. We're both huge fans of uh, Sherlock Holmes. And I believe the, the the house he's supposed to be from, you know, where fictionally they have him residing in, is supposed to be in London. Mm-hmm. And we're both huge fans of Doctor Who. And Doctor Who is based out of London. So there's a lot of things that, uh, a, a lot of like, what's called tourist locations where we would love to visit that are based out of London. So that's a trip I'd be a hundred percent down huh? for. Let me, uh, yeah. let me adjust my oh, list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's oh, that's coming. I'd be a hundred percent down for, but uh, what about you, Jason? How was your week, man? Uh, the week went pretty cool. Uh, we spent uh, Thanksgiving here at the house. Uh, unfortunately, like normally, I would uh, either go out to my sister's house and see my mom and stuff, and or like last year, we had mom come on and she stayed with us for the weekend and stuff, and she had a good time here with us. But uh, she, she and I both were like, you know, as much as we would love to come and visit, and as much as she would love to come and stay out here again with us, like it'd probably just be safer to follow the guidelines and just have a nice home meal and stuff so cynthia and i we 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 bargained and she bought half of the thanksgiving dinner because she didn't feel like doing a whole spread which i agreed with because every time thanksgiving come around she works very hard so we ended up getting a honey baked ham we did a few little sides and stuff from priscilla's up the road and and that, that was actually a funny experience like on uh on how priscilla's went but i won't go in that's a whole story that I heard secondhand from the wife. And I just say, if you're going to order food for Thanksgiving from popular soul food places, uh, make sure you got all your stuff. <laughs> Ask a lot of questions. As am I supposed to come back with this receipt? Is there something else I'm supposed to have? Otherwise you're going to be on this, some highly Negro shit. Highly hood <laughs> shit is going to go down. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to be at work when it all happened. I just came home like, all right, well, Sorry you went through all that. So anyway, we uh we all sat down. Lucky enough, we were able to eat a little early. Uh, every little tradition we always have is every time we eat our Thanksgiving dinner, we kick on some Christmas movie. And I bring the tree up out of storage, and we set our tree up, uh, get all the decorations and stuff on there, and have us a nice little night. My My, my wife likes to play Christmas music at the same time while we're trimming the tree and all that other good stuff. So we sat and I had a good time with my family. It was always nice to sit down and have a good meal and express what our thanks are for and everything. And we had a good time. Even though we didn't get to see a whole lot of folks, there's some plates out there waiting for us at some houses. So we'll be out there to do our rounds as soon as possible. Y'all don't throw them plates away, y'all. Hold on to them. Just make sure they're in that aluminum fall. <laughs> nice. How about you, sir? How was your week? Uh, my week was, it's been quite interesting. Um, uh, so I think most of the people listening know I've been sick um, for quite some, some time. It started around probably November 7th is the first time I remember feeling bad. And it upset me because I had a two-week vacation planned for November. Because as I've mentioned before, I love gaming. And they came out with the new gaming systems in November. 
And even though I wasn't going to buy a new gaming system, I was going to start playing, you know, some of the new games and I was going to be live streaming them. So I took this two week vacation all figuring that it was going to be a great time to have some more streaming content and do some more things with the podcast and, you know, just really set myself up strong so that I'd be able to hit the ground running in December and moving into the new year. Well, I was sick the entire um, two-week vacation, like just sick as a dog, barely able to do any work. And I went to the doctor during this time, and I told him about all my symptoms and everything that I was feeling. And, you know, I didn't have a fever. And so my doctor didn't feel like it was COVID. And he prescribed me some amoxicillin and said, you know, just go back home. Now, my daughter, she wasn't, she hasn't been sick as in like runny nose or anything like that, but she's had this cough that won't go away during the evening. And it's bad enough. The coughing fits are bad enough where it causes her to wake up and she can't just sleep through it. Mm -hmm. Now, the doctor gave us a medication that will basically make the coughing stop in these four hour increments, but it's not making it stop permanently. Right. And he prescribes her the same thing when he gives me the amoxicillin. We take this for another week and it becomes clear like, yo, I'm not really getting any better. Um, and like I, I'm feeling a little bit better, but it's already been three, four weeks. I should have recovered by now. So finally, we get to this week. I call the doctor's office again and I'm like, hey, we've taken your amoxicillin. My daughter is taking your stuff. We're still not actually feeling better. What should we do? And they're like, well, go get tested for COVID. Which for me is extremely frustrating because at this point I've been sick for a month. Mm -hmm. And if you felt like I had symptoms where I could potentially have COVID, then, then I should have just went on ahead and got tested. Like regard all jump, you know? And, and to me, I I always come from the standpoint of, hey, you're not a medical professional. So do what the doctors tell you, you know, take all their medication, follow your instructions, and hopefully you'll you'll be fine. So when they say this doesn't seem like COVID, I just went with it. And for there to be nothing new, nothing really changes with me. And now all of a sudden they're saying, well, it might be a COVID problem. It, again, deeply frustrating. So all three of us went on Monday and we went to go get tested for COVID. Um, and my test came back positive. It came back positive. Uh, I officially have COVID more than likely. I've been fighting COVID for this past month and didn't even know it. Now, my daughter's case, it, the test came back inconclusive. But the hospital who reported it to me said, even though it came back inconclusive, considering the fact that you're positive and considering her symptoms, you should probably just assume that she's positive as well. You know, you still need to bring her back and have her do another test and so that they can get official results. But they were like, you should probably assume that she's got it. Now, my wife's test was inconclusive as well. Um, and she hasn't been like really sick or having any issues, but. I mean, there's no reason, real reason to assume that she's immune or anything like that. And it's just, 
it's so fucking frustrating. Like I have been basically on lockdown. I haven't went anywhere. Mm. I have been at home. The only time I really leave is to go get my daughter either from school or when my parents were watching her to pick her up from my parents. I haven't been going to any parties. I haven't been having any parties. You know, I haven't like, you know, I'm not going to say that I've been perfect. You know, I can look back and think about some times where, you know, I ran down to the door to do something and maybe I didn't have a mask on. I should have had a mask on when I did it. So I'm not going to say like, you know, like every step of the way it's been a hundred percent, but damn, I have absolutely been quarantining and isolating. And I did not want to be in a position where there would be any any chance whatsoever where I would have to consider that I gave this to somebody else. That was always my biggest fear that, you know, that other people would end up being exposed to COVID because of me. My daughter has it, you know, and maybe and again i don't know how i got it you know so that's another subject in and of itself but then my daughter has it we gave my daughter to my folks because we needed them to watch her she's been going up to school to daycare you know so we had to call these different people and inform them i have covid she probably has covid you need to take the necessary steps calling my parents and telling them that they might potentially be exposed to COVID because of me is one of the hardest things I've ever fucking done. Bar none. Well, first and, first and foremost, let me say this. Uh, number one, uh, you hear, uh, you're sounding much better than you had been sounding for the last couple of weeks, or at least the last couple of episodes we've done. But you've done some wonderful editing. <laughs> That's all I have to say. So, number one, I'm glad. Number one, and I'm happy that you're feeling better. Even though I, I know you're still going through some things, but you sound better, you look better, and it looks hopefully this you're coming to turn around with the thing and getting it out your system. So, yeah. number one, I'm I'm happy and I'm thankful to God and whatnot that you still her bro to talk about this. I'm thankful to God that. My baby girl, Simone, is still here and she's still kicking. Hopefully this this working away out her system. And hopefully this is just something that'll make the both of you stronger in the end of however this ends up going. And I'm just glad you're here and you're good. Number one. When it when it comes to that thought process, because uh we we had the conversation the last time we were on here a couple of weeks ago when I had my little scare because of the girl at the, at the job and stuff like them. Those were the immediate thoughts that I had to just in regards to like, hell, I kissed my baby before I walked out the house, all this stuff like that. Like that's, that's the worst feeling in the world. Um, don't, don't bring yourself down on you on yourself like that. Number one, cause this is something that's number one, that's been completely out of control. It's, it's out of anybody's hands at this point. And anybody trying to make anybody feel like they have some kind of control over it is a fucking liar. Plain and fucking simple. Because this shit is just happening. It's just like you say, you you ain't been nowhere. This shit creeps in. It it, it gets you. It, it's it's going to get you however it wants to get you. So as much as you, you, you try to do the best you can to be mindful of yourself, your surroundings, and the things that you do, 
the way this thing has been going, man, it's 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 a pandemic. You know what I mean? It, 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 I don't I don't I know that word has been used very lightly lately since we've been in this shit for damn near a year now. But it's serious. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it. I, I was making a comment earlier to somebody that was in the store that, you know, I'm happy to see that the more people are getting it. But you're seeing the deaths are a little bit more on the minimal side, even though every death right. is significant because this is these are people who are very important to other people. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not mitigating or I'm not trying to say like those deaths are meaningless or anything else like that. But to to have the number of cases that we have as opposed to the number of deaths, I think hopefully at some point in time, this is gonna start turning into a thing like you know, it's like I said before, like when this vaccine kicks in, hopefully this is something that's going to help. It'll be at the end of the day, it'll become one of the things where you hear about COVID like you hear about polio. Right. Like some kid in Houston caught polio. Like polio for real? <laughs> like I ain't heard about polio in a long time. So, you know, it's 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 to to don't don't come down on yourself or anything like that because at the end of the day, the shit is here. We're all exposed. You know what I mean? That's that's what this is. And it's it's just a matter of doing the best you can to be mindful and remembering what you were taught as when you were a child by your parents about your hygiene or how you do things and what you do in your everyday life. I I really felt like this whole thing which should be like a new reminder for people on how to just make sure that they're taking care of themselves the way they should be. You know, and, and I, I think over it's been de- it's been a few decades where I think people have forgotten about this. And that's why there was so much misinformation and so much just just splitting how it was made political. I think a lot of I think some of our leaders should have took it upon themselves to say, you know what? There's a pandemic. Yeah. So what we need to do is other than putting these damn masks on and washing your hands, people might have actually needed a reminder on how to take care of themselves. You know what I mean? Like, cause I believe a lot of people just forgot. And I think this thing is just reinforcing. It's like, Hey, we live on a planet and shit that fucks around and makes choices. Mother nature is a motherfucker. We see that shit right now. She ain't just controlling the skies and the fucking weather. <laughs> you know what I mean? She do shit that fucks around and makes us earn the right to live on this fucking planet. So it's, it's part of it. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say is like, don't don't come down on yourself on anything like that. Like I say, I had the same thoughts in regards to just, you know, saying affecting my loved ones and stuff like that. But you're still here to take care of them. And that's what's important. Yeah. And I got to admit, I one um, one thing that I do really appreciate out of this situation. You know, I got a, a family who is really, really great to have in bad situations. Like I talked to my father, I talked to my mother, I talked to my sister, and of course my wife and I sit down, sat down and talked about it. And they're just absolutely, when you are feeling horrible and you feel like a situation is just absolutely awful, all of them, they're just great people to have in your corner, you know? And and I'm I'm very very, you know, thankful for that. That's what's up. You know, well, absolutely. you know, and I think it, it's we need to keep in mind, and I think for our audience to to hear is that doctors are, you know, especially in our neighborhoods, they don't always give us the attention to certain things that we should have. Now, mind you, 
let me just say at this current stage, you know, whether you had COVID or not, it, it really didn't matter. And the reason being is because they can't do anything about it anyway, right. <laughs> unless, unless you get so bad that they have to, you know, say, okay, it's an emergency. We got to take you in. And that's the only time they really will do anything. So, Really getting you tested was not going to do anything but to give you the information, so to speak. Mm, so, right. so that's what that that's what we got to realize on that. Now, what the doctor should have told you is that, hey, you know, you're sick. Anyone who's sick needs to quarantine anyway. That call it a done deal. Especially this year, next year, you're sick, you need to quarantine. If you think it's the flu, if you think of whatever it is, get your behind somewhere, sit your ass down, <laughs> and don't get in contact with people. And if you have to contact them with somebody, you have your mask on and let them know they need to have theirs on. And and you go from there. So, you know, but one of the things that, that you know, my wife talks to me about all the time, and, and any, any woman who's given birth, and especially black women will attest to the lack of care that is given in a lot of these scenarios. Unless you have true top tier insurance or, or you've got enough money where you're paying cash all the way through and you're a millionaire, unless you are that, the care that you get from these medical professionals is, is there, there's not a whole lot of good bedside manner there. So, you have to be up on whatever's going on. You, you have to try your best to do your research, ask questions, and kind of push for some of the things that you need. You know, and at some point you have to trust that you know your body. And, and maybe you are going crazy and going and just going all into these conspiracy theories, but heck, it's your body. You know, and for anybody who's listening, it's your body. You ask those questions and you push for it because they will just kind of, just kind of shoo you off. They will just kind of shoo you off. And and that that's a very dangerous thing in our community. So, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up that, that fact about the doctor not, you know, <laughs> waited all this time before even suggesting to, to even go take a test, you know. So yeah. now for anyone who's got COVID or think they have it and, and really just want to know, you know, Always keep in mind there are some places you can go, I think, without any referral or anything. You can just go and get tested if you think mm-hmm. you got some symptoms. So just go mm-hmm. and get the test. If 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 knowing there's no excuse not to know. Right. If, no excuse not to know. You know, but you know, for me, if I get sick and and y'all know I shut in. <laughs> I, I said the most contact I have with anybody, I'm in a drive through at Starbucks and, and I'm, and I'm away like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, and so, and so for me, I, I would feel like, wow, how could I even get it? But if I get sick, trust me, I ain't going nowhere. And I ain't getting right. in contact with nobody. I absolutely echo the sentiments. If you think that there's any chance you have it, please go ahead and get yourself tested. It, you, you definitely want to know, especially, you know, I'm lucky enough where I'm in a situation where my job has me working from home every day. So shutting myself in was not that hard, except for Simone. 
because I had to go pick her up from school. I had to go pick her up from, you know, the parents watching her. But other than that, you know, I've been in a situation where, you know, one, I like being home anyway. And then two, from a job standpoint, it's easy for me to be home. But if you're in a situation where you really have to be out and about and you're always in a situation where you're interfacing with other people, you really need to know whether or not you're infected or whether or not there's a possibility that you could be infecting other people. So it's worth getting that information. And, you know, but but again, circling back to what Hudson said, all they can really tell you is that they're infected. They don't really know anything else. Mm-hmm. Like I asked them, OK, so now I know I'm positive. When can I start feeling confident that I won't infect other people? And they're like, well, when you start feeling, stop feeling symptoms. And I said, but I've been sick since the seventh and I've never had a fever. And I, I did have like a, like a two or three days where it was causing me to have trouble breathing, where the, the phlegm that was in my lungs, sometimes I had trouble breathing past it, or sometimes it, it hurt my chest just to breathe. But then I got past that and then I, and I don't feel that anymore. So I'm like, when do I know? Am I supposed to just sit around another month? And they're like, basically. <laughs> That's one symptom down. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. Exactly. That's basically what they told me. You know, so, and that was when I spoke with the hospital who gave me the diagnosis. Since that time, I spoke with the nurse at my actual doctor's office, and she pretty much echoed the same sentiments. So I say all that to say, you know, don't expect a whole bunch of guidance <laughs> and great advice about how you're supposed to deal with this and when you're going to be in the clear and all that. They don't know. No. They don't really know anything. And their level of knowledge is not going to magically change when this vaccine comes out either. In fact, they're probably going to know even less because they're going to not going to know anything about what the side effects of this vaccine is going to be. So if once you get that positive verdict, just recognize you're in uncharted territory. You are in uncharted medical territory, and you just got to deal with it. There's one more aspect, and this is important one, is that you might feel some slight symptoms and get tested, and it might come back negative. You know, the incubation period on this disease that they, they said is up to 14 days. So, mm-hmm. you know, also keep in mind, if you just because your first test is negative, don't think that it is time. All right, I can go out and party. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, you, right. you might need to wait a few days and get tested again. You know, um, I mean, ultimately contact, you know, your physician, try to get some more information. But like Samori said, you know, they, they're working off very little knowledge themselves. But, you know, what we've learned is what we've learned so far is it's up to 14 days of incubation, which means it might take a while to even show up on a test that you have it. So, you know, again, it's another shot that you could be going around infecting people and don't know it. That's the biggest danger of this disease. Regardless of what it takes, we will figure this out and we will get through it and we will get past it to the other side. I thought before we got into our actual official topics for the day, we introduced something a little light. I saw a little bit of international news that I thought was rather interesting. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Sejar is a well-known right-wing anti-gay Hungarian politician who was caught at, not a five-man, 
not a 10 man, not a 15 man, not even a 20 man, was caught at a 25 man orgy party last week. Police were called to this. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) Police were called because of reports of a disturbance and were quoted by the media as saying, we just interrupted a gangbang. All of the participants in this orgy were naked when the police came, including Sejar and some other diplomats who were present at the event. (laughs) Sejar tried to escape out the window, but police caught up with him down the street. Mind you, he is married to Tunde Hondo, a justice on Hungary's constitutional court. So, yeah, I thought this was kind of funny and uh, and interesting and and a nice... A, a nice segue into the general things we were going to discuss. Hudson, you were about to say something. Uh, you know, I saw one quote from the from from the from uh, I guess uh, uh, the police who got some eyewitness accounts from somebody who saw uh, how you pronounce his name, Caesar, Caesar, or whatever. It said he was fleeing alone the gutter. And, and I just, I just pictured this this naked man climbing out that first story window because that's where he climbed out of, and he's just lurking along the shadows, naked, uh, right by the gutter. And, and it just, I just, it just brings like a cartoon image, like like this is all like Benny Hill stuff minus the girls, because Benny Hill had a ton of girls. That's like a, I'm just picturing all of them just running around frantically trying to get away, and they're slippery like fish because they're all naked. <laughs> Police trying yo. to get a hold of them. Look, yo, look. I I had a dream one time, right? And and this, this dream, and and I don't think Samori, Jason, y'all are probably never gonna let me live this dream down, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. Okay, I had this bad dream. This was a horrible dream, right? It was where it was me and a couple buddies, and they convinced me to go to some party. It was supposed to be this party, and it was supposed to be one of them kind of, you know, freaky kind of parties where it's women and men, you know, doing their thing up in there, right? Yeah, I'm like, all right, well, I, I thought it was like a eyes wide shut kind of deal. So, I, you know, I'm thinking, all right, if it get too crazy in there, I'm going to just bounce. Now, I get up in there, right? And I notice at the moment, like, there, there's no women here at all at the moment once I get there. And so I'm asking, I'm like, where's the where's the girls? Where Where's all the women at? You know, it's a dream, so nothing's quite clear. So I can't quite see the clock. But yeah, there was a clock. It was a big ass clock. And I I couldn't quite see it, but I, I got the sense like it was extremely late. So the girls should have been there by now. Like in my mind, there should be girls here by now. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm getting all these looks as people are passing by going into this room. And when the last couple people get in there, right, I'm noticing like people are starting to take their clothes off as they shut the doors 
And I'm asking, are they taking their clothes off? Are, they, are, are the girls in there? What, what's going on? I didn't see any <laughs> And, and they're, trying to, they're trying to calm me. They're like, just, just go on in there. There's, there's nothing wrong in there. Just go on in there. So I like, wait a minute. You know, I'm like, you know, let, let go of me here. Wait, no, this, this ain't right. I'm getting out of here. So I start bolting like I like a you know, full sprint. Now, this is a dream. So my sprint, it feels like I'm running in water, like I'm in a pool running. You know, it's those type of dreams. And no matter how fast I try to go, like like they right there, like they are right there <laughs> trying to get me to come back to this park. <laughs> I say all this to say, how in the world did when you got all those diplomats, it is hush hush. Like they had no intentions of the police coming and raiding this thing. And how did Hell this no. happen? It's because they got some young boy up in there, right? And he thought it was going to be a regular party. And when he got in there, he saw nothing but dudes. And he was like, wait a minute. Let me go make a call. He was inside there. And he made a call to the police and said, you got to break this up. It, it was no Yo. random tip. It was no, no. Somebody in there got it all wrong as to what was happening and said, I need to get up out of this. So, I agree 100%. <laughs> somebody was invited to, to the get down who, who wasn't given the whole story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, no way. No way. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> Y'all not doing this in my country, right? And you know, we is not how we get down in Hungary. He was like, "Why are the cops here?" Knowing damn well he the one called them. I got a couple of issues on it, or well, at least a couple of things I've been thinking about since I heard the story. And I don't get direct answers, but a couple of things. This was just somebody's crib, like, like literally they That's... they were these twenty five, excuse me, twenty six, including him. Uh, I think he was probably 25. So I think it's 25. Ain't, dude. ain't no telling. <laughs> ain't no telling. I'm, like, it was just like some dude crib. Like, you think, like, so they were so loud that yes. <laughs> it was a noise complaint and the police yes. were called. So yeah. you just in the crib on the block somewhere. Like, you think about it, you hear some <laughs> shit like this. This is some mansion up on a hill somewhere where okay, no, don't nobody know nothing. They got gates. And them high bushes and stuff. They just in somebody's right. crib. Just right. on the block. Like, you know, na- next like to this. Nancy in them crib. Something like this is supposed to happen in an area where the police can't get into. Like, if the police come up to the gate, they're like, nah, turn your asses around. We didn't call y'all. All right. And like- then, <laughs> out of the 25, he the only one who tried to get out a window? Like, he the only <laughs> one. But <butt laughs> neck, I got to go. But everybody else stayed in the house. He was the only one that shot out the window. So he didn't even have an opportunity to have like a distraction or nothing like that. Because the other dudes just stayed just doing what they was doing. He the only one out the window. (laughs) Yo, this is a great point. Because the police already said that everybody that they found there was naked. Which means these dudes was completely, either they were called completely unaware or they was all like, we doing what we want to do. Why are y'all here? <laughs> still, still probably going while the cops is there. Like, what? what's up? What you need? But my man out the window. So I can only imagine, like, they walk in, like, hey, y'all keep it quiet. 
they come stand outside like you won't believe what and you see dude like up on the gutters like butt naked scrolling trying to run running down the block at some point oh, sir sir what are you doing COVID restrictions the problem <laughs> is there's COVID restrictions so so when they get those complaints of a gathering they gotta break it up because they're they're not supposed to have those kind of gatherings but like but right, you you saying, just though, leave but like you were just saying though I mean there should be somebody at the gate like no 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 there's too many important people here we don't need right. you here. <laughs> or somebody be like, no, nah, we social distance over here. It's okay. <laughs> but, but at that point, when they, they just put their clothes on and they just left. All right, we'll go. But he the only one taking out the window. <laughs> so yeah. why do they just put your clothes on and leave? That's a great question. <laughs> because you know what? He His name is the only one in the news as well. Like they say there were some diplomats there, but they don't say the name of these diplomats. At all. So, <laughs> so this, is, this is a great question. Y'all think he's the only one out the window. You think, you think he <laughs> thought he was going to a regular party for real? I can't be seen here. No, I got to go. No, no. Right. They just go break up the party. Just leave. He didn't have no good answers for the media about why he was there. So I'd venture to say he found exactly what he was looking for. He's just upset that other people have found out that he wanted it too. And you know what else was funny? That's what I was just about to say. Like, I'm reading that. So was he naked with the backpack too? So was he out the window butt naked with a backpack full of drugs? And you're the only one. (laughs) You're the only one running down the block. Butt naked with a backpack full, full, of, full of, I'm sure, cocaine or whatever else. Please did you, did you not know you was going to get caught? <laughs> I don't understand. Why you ain't just put your clothes on and leave? Y'all got to disperse. All right. See y'all later. Just go. <laughs> you the bitch just fine. You the bitch just you out the window. Oh, my God. That is hilarious to me. And you can yeah. just—I can just imagine all the other dudes is in there. What the fuck is? Where's he going? Why is he going? Out <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we good. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> you new to this, bro? <laughs> hey, bro, calm down. Calm down, man. It's just sex, bro. It's gonna be all right, <laughs> it's just bro. Sex. Calm down. Just, just put your clothes Yo, on. It's all right. I feel. I feel so bad for this man's wife. I feel so bad for her. She doesn't deserve this. <laughs> she doesn't deserve to be a part of this kind of storyline. Bruh, just be who you are, man. All right? <laughs> I, I, on, the, on that note, though, I, I have to imagine. Like, I, I watch too much SVU because of my wife and shit. And it's one particular episode of that shit where they had, where this one dude, he was a lawyer or whatever, and he had AIDS, right? But, like, every Wednesday night, apparently him and his buddies had poker night. Right. You know, over at his buddy's house, but they was all fucking each other. So, yeah. so, I, so I always, I always treat them just like them down little brothers. I'm always like, oh, you just one of them Wednesday night poker nights. Like, mm, <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going at all. Your wife's not invited. I'm not coming. I'm good. Right. And that's, that's what I always imagine when I hear stuff like this. But like in the story, like the dude was married and his wife in the back of her head she knew. All right. And to me, honestly, when I when I see these situations, 
I always feel like that the wife knows yeah. how this dude gets down. But the thing is, it's one thing to know that your husband is gay. It's totally other thing to find out your husband is going to these twenty five man orgy parties. <laughs> that's like that's like a whole separate thing. It's like when the Andrew Gilliam thing happened. Like besides the meth being in the room, I figure his wife was probably cool with it. Mm. She already knew he was gay. She saw the pictures with him sitting with dude. She knew that that was one of his little. You know, side dudes or whatever. She had already made the decision to get in this life. So when he got caught in the hotel room, it probably wasn't a big thing as far as his home life. You know what I'm saying? Because she already knows how dude gets down. But this, this is like a whole nother thing. You got drugs in your backpack. You fleeing from 25 man orgy parties. <laughs> Come on, bro. You a politician. You know, they probably got, got guys on deck. For people specifically like you, to make to so that you to ensure that you can have these types of liaisons in a way that is that is safe and and on the low. Well, <laughs> like well, now, what are I, you doing? At first, I was <laughs> asking myself, why is this dude who who's gay so anti-gay legislation rights? Why is he so anti? Now I understand it. it is that he he sees it, it's all twenty five man orgies and drugs and backpacks. <laughs> it's like this is a bad community. We can't. Let you <laughs> I mean, I love it, but <laughs> he's like but, a experience. You you don't want to do. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's okay if you have enough nuts in you to be gay. And yep. in a, in a position of power in a political office, and right. you're 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 going to still do your thing outside on the down low or whatnot. I feel like there's no real moderation to it. I, I think mean? I think that if you're gay and you're willing to have a wife and kids and stuff like that, and then still live this outside life that nobody's supposed to know about, I feel like there's no limits. I feel like you just, you just, you have to be a part of 25, 30 man orgies. I think that's just what it is. It's like, you got to go and you got to get that shit out your system so you're just not doing it every day. <laughs> so, wow. Because you, you know you got to be at home and you got to have a certain amount of time with the family and whatnot. You can't just be going out every night finding wait, a guy. Wait, wait, so wait, it's wait, like. Wait. So, wait, I can't, think this is why his, can't he have his. Wait, you think this is his six month treat to himself? He do this twice a year, so it's got to be big. How often is this dude in, in, in his political position talking about all the, all, the, all the hate and shit against the LGBTQ and, and trying to get all this legislation against him? How much time is he having to actually do the down low shit? This dude is working a lot. You know what oh, I'm saying? He's in the public eye. Oh, he is in the public wow. eye, so he just don't have opportunities. And just like you said too, Hudson, with with he, he might have a hatred towards it because you know he got caught in the house doing this. He was in some crib. Maybe he never got invited to the the white eyes wide shut mansion to do the to do the. He he can only go to Uncle Buck's house and Uncle Buck. stay on the block. Stay on the block. That's the only orange he get to go to. This <laughs> so, dude, 
This dude probably has his assistant set it up. He probably ran the whole thing. He's got the date circled on the calendar. Looking forward to it for months. And he's telling his assistant, John's, John's, make sure there's as many dicks in the room as there can be. As are we doing any catering for this, sir? Oh, man. Y'all are killing wow. me. I'm yeah, just I'm saying, man, that sometimes you boys, you got to get it out your this. system. You got to get it out your system. I need 25 <laughs> in the room. I don't know when I'm going to get to do this again. I need to do it. <laughs> wow, bro. Wow. Oh, man. I hadn't even thought about this, Jason. <laughs> on that note, let's move on. Oh. Holy smokes. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> So, in other news from this past week, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. had a uh, heavyweight bout between two 50-year-old men. I've seen a lot of uh, disparity between how people feel about this, so I'm actually interested in this conversation. Some people feel like, man, Tyson shows he's still got that fire, still, still, you know, Got that aggressiveness in him, and I'd love to see him do this again. Really enjoyed the bout and felt like Roy Jones Jr. did what he had to do as well. Other people are like, this is not how I want to see my heroes and <laughs> the legends of boxing. And these brothers, they could have kept this, and I don't need to see anything like this again. So I'm curious, you know, how did you all feel about it? Hudson, did you get a chance to watch the fight? I, I just saw clips. Um but what I'll say about it is that anyone who has seen like the those uh, last Rocky movies, that one where he owned the restaurant and he decided to do some exhibition fights and ended up Balboa. fighting the champion. Yeah. <laughs> anyone who saw that movie are probably they they're probably the ones that and feel that way are probably the ones that they're feeling like how I felt when I saw Balboa. Like, even though Balboa was having his moments where he was really getting in that ass, it still looked like this old ass dude just throwing haymakers. And it was, <laughs> and it was, and, and I call it haymakers because that's what old ass dudes throw. They throw haymakers, they don't throw regular punches or jabs. They haymakers. So, it, you know, it, it's like for me, it's like, hey, it looks like Rocky could do a little fighting, but he still look old. So it's like, why is he out there? This doesn't look right. You know, his 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 shorts are sagging, you know. But what I will say is that what still scares me about Tyson is his head. Has anybody really looked at his head and how it's shaped and constructed? Like, it looks like you can't punch through it. Like, his head is is like, that, that scares me. Like, he does look like he could still take anything you could dish out to him and and mm -hmm. i would uh you know and of course me with no with no training anywhere near his level would not want to be caught in the ring with him at all uh one punch from him will probably kill me and i don't mm -hmm. i don't want to do it um so from what i saw yeah he could he could just like george foreman did when he got older and got back in the ring i, I bet tyson could still beat a lot of these guys out there um, do I want to see him go out and do it? No, it was like Michael Jordan when he went back out with the Wizards and tried to, no, I don't want to see it. You know, yeah. I, I I like to see 
when they were on top, you know, uh, I was cool with it. I don't like to see them come as so old, even though they can still do a little something. It still kind of ruins it for me, I would say, personally. Jason, how would you feel? I hadn't had a chance to see any of the clips of the fight, but I look at all the imagery and stuff that they led up to the fight and how they kind of promoted it. And I it it kind of reminds me of, like, how Hollywood is now. It's, it's not interesting. Like, basically, it's just a reboot of something that used to be popular. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well... Like, right now, it seems like it's very interesting to bring a lot of old actors and stuff that were popular in, like, the 80s and the 90s, bring them to the front front now and try and give them work and stuff. But, like, like this Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., like, I, 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 I wasn't never really into boxing, but, like, when Tyson fought, I, I remember those matches and the clips and stuff that you would see. And there were a few, there were a few matches I got to see where he was in the ring with somebody and I feared for their life. Like, the dude, like, he wasn't no natural boxer. He, even when he missed a punch, like, when he would throw one, it's like, okay, you out, get out of the ring, dude. Something bad's about to happen to you. Like, you, you don't want to get hit by that. And even Roy Jones, like, the few clips I've seen of him in his youth and stuff, he he had a nice little stun in him, too. He was, he was a champion. No, but I don't, I don't want to see reboots. They had their time. It's cool. Now, in the grand scheme, I remember like we had the conversation about it. I'm happy that they got themselves a nice little payday. I'm glad they got themselves some money in their pocket, and hopefully that keeps them on track and keeps them good and stuff. Like Any brother that's going to make that money, make you money. But it, this ain't something I want to see. It, it reminds me of them versus battles. Like, is, that, is this what's going to happen now? Who are they going to go get next? Lennox Lewis and... Whoever yeah. else still ain't got no brain damage or something. There's gonna be Lennox Lewis and who? Evander. I don't want to see that. That's no man. Is is there nobody left right now? Is there nobody in their prime that's good enough? Is it that there's no boxes that are popular enough that you can make that an actual event or something that somebody would want to see? You got to reach back and you got to go find Mike Tyson, who ain't been doing nothing but fucking weird commercials and podcasts and shit and whatnot for the last I don't know how long and Roy Jones Jr. I don't know what the fuck he was doing before this damn thing. I know at one point in time he had an album out and it was kind of hot. He had the Young Bloods on it. That was some shit. It was cold. But that was about 15, 20 years ago. I don't know what the hell he been doing. I didn't know that. Damn. It's one of them joints we used to, it's one of them headbangers we used to listen to when we went to the clubs and shit. These young folks don't know nothing about that. That's them, them Lil John and Eastside boy. He had like one of them type albums. And, That's awesome. You know what I'm saying? It was I, no. It, it just it's just like every time I see a movie that come out, that you know, like 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 anything that they done rebooted, like it's it's just it just seems like there's no creativity anymore, and there's nothing there's there's nothing to be made of the like like we were talking about with the whole UFC thing with uh, Conor McGregor and was it Mayweather. Like, like it, it all just seems like a, a big. It, it just seems like a way to get money out of people's pockets at this point. You know what I mean? And it's not. It's it's it, it's it's dirty enough the sport. Not like I say. Not that I was into boxing or anything like that. But it 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 takes purity away from it. You know what I mean? It people were there are people who are actually in the boxing. You know what I mean? That want that are there because of what it is. Like two warriors that step into a ring. Don't nobody want to see two warriors that were in the ring 40, 30, 20, and 30 years ago knocking each other's heads off and 
and have a nice conversation after the fact. That's nah, man. It's well, come up know, with something creative. Here's what here's my take on it all is that with with social media, everyone can it seems like can get kind of comfortable with their following because they can reach their following directly now. So when I think back in in the 80s and things like that, there was no social media for Mike Tyson, for Michael Jordan. You know, social media didn't exist. And and what it did was their fame elevated that sport, right? It it made basketball worldwide to to have Michael Jordan and the Bulls out there. It, it, It started making boxing worldwide to have a guy like Mike Tyson out there. Right. And it just it don't we don't have those type of stars anymore. So when you say is there nobody in boxing like that, it isn't because it it it, it almost doesn't have to be because they can make their money now reaching their direct audience without having to do that much outward outward promotion now. Mm. So people who like boxing. They, they like on those pages. They like on those boxers they like, and, and that's it. That's all they need now. And so, like, there these household names that used to be out there where everybody in the world knew Michael Jordan. Everybody in the world knew Mike Tyson. You know, that that's just not there anymore. Where Because, like, I, I uh, you know, uh, you, could, you could say that the, the only real boxer I know at this point it is uh, uh, Floyd uh, – Mayweather or whatever. But the problem is, is I don't feel like he elevates the sport. So that's why I don't put him on a level. He he doesn't make me want to go and watch boxing. Tyson right. made me want to watch boxing. You know, Michael Jordan is what made me get a love for the Bulls and for and for basketball. Before that, I didn't care about basketball. You know, so I feel like those guys elevated the sport, whereas I just don't see that in in almost any sport these days where you actually have someone now who's elevating it there's nobody else like mike tyson in boxing period like tyson can just draw people and and it's not just because of his previous boxing record it's also because of the follow the new following he has generated through his podcast and his interviews and just the insights that people have been able to get into his life. Um, it's really given him a huge following. And if you listen to his stuff, it's not really about at all about violence or hurting people or even about boxing. It's really about humanity. It's about him as a human being and how much he has mm-hmm. changed and humility and understanding what was really messed up about the way he used to be and what are some of the things that he can still try to take with him to try to generate something positive out of him, out of it. And there are a lot of people who gravitate towards seeing that. And there's no other boxer who can come with that same story and that same type of background that's going to pull people into there. Not Tyson, not Wilder, not Mayweather, Nobody. And so from that standpoint, I I watched the whole match. All right. Um, You know, so on the one hand, I still enjoy seeing Tyson in the ring. 
And it's 100% clear he is still very, very passionate about boxing and is really excited about the opportunity to jump back into the ring. All right. And so from that standpoint, just seeing that made the match enjoyable, seeing how seriously he took it and that he was so happy to be in there and to be punching again. You know, that's all cool. But Roy Jones Jr. was absolutely the wrong person to do this. I mean, he wasn't the wrong person from the standpoint of the event was successful. You know, it made a bunch of money. And there are some people who are happy about it. You know, that's cool. Good for them. But from my standpoint, Roy Jones was the wrong person to be in this ring. First of all, he was completely out of shape. And that became even more impaired when you put him right next to Mike Tyson, who was in incredible shape. And clearly went all out to be ready for this match. That's number one. Number two, Roy Jones doesn't have that same fire that Tyson has. Like, like Tyson was going in that ring to get at it. Jones Jr. is clinching every you know, five, ten seconds. Because, and, and don't get me wrong, he did start punching at some point and try to make more of a match out of it. But almost everyone is saying that the idea that this match was called as a draw at the end is complete nonsense. All right. This match is not a draw. Tyson won, period. Tyson was getting in that ass basically every round. All right. Now the last, you know, maybe three rounds, Roy Jones started going back at him and, and, you know, trying to make a fight out of it and all that. And that's cool. It was not a tie. It was not a tie. And also, um, there were rules about how they get interfaced with each other. I don't know if these were rules that were in the contract or just a gentleman's agreement that they had, but neither one of them ever punched in the face, ever. And that's what Tyson was known for. He was known for hit you in the body, then uppercut you in the face. Like, that's that's how he got down. Never happened. Never happened the whole match. And Roy Jones um, didn't attempt to punch him in the face either. On the one hand... I think that's good, right? Because who wants to see these 50-year-old guys all bloodied up in the face or someone damn near getting killed out there and getting hauled off in a stretcher from the ring because <laughs> barely Hudson wants to see it. But I think the vast majority of the people who are watching this match, they don't want to see it in that way. And so, you know, from that standpoint, keeping an all at the body makes sense. But... To me, if you're going to do it, you need to go ahead and just do it, which means y'all should be able to be punching each other in the face. And I think at the end of the day, Tyson probably wants to be able to punch in the face, and he needs to get himself a partner who's down to do that. So I would say if the next version of it is going to be just like this, I'm not interested. But if Tyson is able to find himself another show enough go-getter, a show enough dog who, hey, I'm 50 years old, but I want this just as bad as, as you're doing. You can punch me in the face and I'm going to punch the crap out of you in your face and let's get it. Uh, that might be something interesting to see. Uh, I saw the podcast that Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson did together. He might be the guy <laughs> that, that get it done. I don't know what kind of shape Lennox Lewis is in, but Lennox Lewis embarrassed Tyson when they were in a ring together. So seeing that might match might be interesting as well. And Lennox Lewis uh, always came off to me as a guy who felt like 
he didn't get the respect he really deserved while he was going through his his prime as boxing champion, which makes me think he might even be more interested in coming back and putting the beat down on Tyson again, just to remind people, when you speak about the greatest boxing champions ever, I should be on that list. So if they can get some, if they can get that type of matchup together to do this, I'd be interested in doing and seeing it again. But not with Roy Jones Jr. I, I was not impressed with him. See, of course, Lennox Lewis feels that way because I, I, I'm not sure there's too many people who think if, if Tyson was in his prime during that fight, Tyson would dog walk him. I think it, and I think a lot of people thought it. I don't think he would dog walk him because Lennox Lewis had incredible reach. And he went up against some some show enough heavyweights and beat them. So you know, I, I, Tyson might have won, but you know, I, I don't think he would have dogged. Uh, you got Lewis was a champion. Every every fight that Tyson had was against someone who had more reach than him. Yeah, and and Tyson, along with that, every hit that Tyson did is going to be harder than every hit that any of those other guys <laughs> gave him too. That's going to take a toll. It would have been interesting, definitely, but I think Tyson would have right. up coming out on top. Yeah, Tyson made, five. other than them uppercuts or whatnot, Tyson made his living on tearing people's rib cages apart. He lived yeah. on the inside of your body. That's where he was the entire time. <laughs> Shit, you, all that reach don't mean shit. That's how he got that uppercut because because people's <laughs> like, oh God, I can't take another shot to these ribs. So since we're on the subject of this boxing event, right? You know, usually I'm not the type of person to get into the whole black white thing and black people must do things better than white people thing and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, but I got to speak from the heart, speak from how I personally feel. And when I see the way Nate Robinson got knocked out, I think it's a hell for black people everywhere. I don't think there's any way whatsoever that we should let that white boy be able to dog walk one of our brothers like that. And I strongly believe a brother somewhere needs to step up and be like, you know what? Nah, you ain't no real boxer. And let me go ahead and put the brakes on all this nonsense. This kid is out here uh, challenging Conor McGregor. And talking about, <laughs> I guess he think he on Mayweather level now. And this is all disgusting. He a YouTube star. He'll say some stupid shit like that. Yeah, well, but, you know, the media is actually paying attention to him because everybody is, is now putting out all these memes about Nate Robinson. And so... I need a brother to step up and put the kibosh on all this. Oh, that's where the project. money grabs are now. I mean, this this is a pro gonna be a prime example because Conor McGregor is the type of motherfucker that'll fuck around and take the fight, and then it's just gonna be another one in fucking paydays for people. And it just that's he what makes this shit interesting. He ain't gonna take the fight because they can't pay him enough money yet. They're not getting oh, well, enough yeah. money yet to be able to pay Conor McGregor's purse. Well, so that's what I'm saying. Like that's that that's the only time like. Let, 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 let it be a couple more of these situations where this white boy jumped in the ring and he knocked a couple of Because like I said, he, he... That's what I'm saying. He that, clubbed that's why I'm saying like a brother a needs steel. to step up now. A brother needs to step up right now and put the kibosh on all of this. Wow. Like, no. Just no. You are not, not that good. You are never getting to that level. I don't care how hard you're working. And let me get you, get you knock you out real quick. The person who needs to do it is Nate. Nate Robinson underestimated this boy. 
He needs to go and say, I want a rematch, and he need to really train. You're saying that? You're saying that because you didn't see the fight. I watched the whole fight. I didn't just watch the knockout. Nate Robinson needs to never box again. It wasn't even a real. He needs to let boxing go. It didn't even really seem like a real boxing match, honestly. It looked like two motherfuckers that was in a bar. They was drunk. They was talking shit, and somebody was like, fuck it, y'all get in the ring. Y'all gonna argue. It, it didn't even look like real boxing. It was just a couple motherfuckers swinging. Jake Paul is, is, is has really developed boxing talent. Very real boxing. Very, no, very no. little. No, I bro. didn't see it in the ring. No, no. Actual, actual boxing announcers have already given their critique on his on his skills and what he's done in the ring. And that they're saying he's not going to be no heavyweight champion, but it is readily apparent that this man has been doing real training. And that he is a real boxer at this oh, point. Of uh, that, there is no doubt. You you just can't. And this ain't his first knockout either. All right. So it's not like he just popped up on the scene. Like, bro, it's, it's undeniable at this point. I'm not a boxing connoisseur or nothing like that. I couldn't tell you the only I, I, the boxers I've seen. We talking about them. They all fifty years old. So, and we talking uh-huh. about them making their cash grabs right now. So. And this dude, like I say, from just watching the fight, it 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 looked like two like they, they grabbed each other the majority of the time. They didn't grab each other. It was Nate Robinson grabbing him because he had no idea what he was doing. That's what I'm saying. Like none of it seemed like a real damn fight. And a few times, the few times that the boy did hit him, he was punching him in the back of the damn head. That one punch he gave his ass where he clubbed him like a baby seal, and he sat there looked like somebody <laughs> threw a rock at him. <laughs> if you watch the I'm replay like, of that. On. If you watch the replay of that, he didn't hit him in the back of the head. He hit him square in his jaw where he was supposed to. He grabbed the back of his head and he turned towards the refs. That was his way of trying to get him some help. But if you look at the replay <laughs> of that hit, yeah, no. Nah, yeah, he, w- he was trying to do his LeBron James work the refs, try to get the refs to, you know, call a foul for me. And it didn't work. I, I might have to look at that one again because I swear the couple of replays I saw, it looked like he got punched in the back of the head. It's like when you take on the bully in the schoolyard. You don't have to beat him. You just have to put up a fight. Nate needs to go, train for six months, go back in there, put up a fight. Even if he loses, get some of that back. You know, that's all. That's all Nate needs to nah. do. Put nah, he needs to go play he basketball. Don't, he don't need to do that. He needs to go. The only uh, To regain his dignity, he needs to get a job in the NBA again. He needs to go back to where he has some love. He needs to go dunk on LeBron or something. It's not going to happen in boxing. It's not. It's not. And and he clearly doesn't have any sort of team to be able to train him to box properly either. They did not do right by him. And I'm talking about that whole throw the whole coaching squad away because this dude clearly knew Jack squat when he got into that ring. And that that is just awful. That's awful, and I really feel bad for him about that. They probably was trying to tell him, though. I feel like the coaches was trying to tell him, and when he just kept looking in the mirror while he was punching, hitting the punching bag and shit, and while he was out there running around looking like Rocky and shit while he was doing his training, I think you couldn't tell him shit. And the coach was like, fuck it, we got our paychecks. Okay, come on. Let's get this right. If there's one thing we've seen plenty of over the past four years – 
It's Trump's lawyers quitting and him having to get new ones. And they quit because they say, we keep trying to tell this man what he needs to do and what needs to happen. And he's ignoring us and he's not following us. So I'm walking away because I realize there's no way for me to properly service my client. Okay. It then trainers felt like that Nate Robinson had no no purpose in this ring whatsoever, and that there was nothing they should teach him. They could possibly teach him. Somebody should have rang the bell and been like, "Hey, yo, I'm now no longer associated with what's happening over here because this dude is no business in the ring. I can't teach him anything. He's not learning anything, but he's determined to do this anyway. I can't watch this. I'm out." All right, y'all. And I just wanted to say publicly, I'm out of here. All right. That's what should have happened. But his whole team walked him up to that ring, knowing what was going to happen, knowing he was going to make a damn fool of himself, throw that whole team away. None of those people should be able to get jobs in boxing again. No. Did you just compare Nate Robinson to Trump? (laughs) 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 Yo. (laughs) No. I'm just saying, bro. Hey, this boy's know. crazy. I, I can't do this. I, I, I quit. I'm sorry. That's you, what should have happened. You got to be out here. We, we got to do the research on that there. How many coaches did, did quit on him in the midst of that no. training? Was this the, whole, no, was this the same crew? They all saw a check coming. Look here. <laughs> you know, it. It, it, I think it was Akeem Hicks who said, you know, all the planning, all the planning is good and all until you get hit in the mouth. And, right. and, you know, maybe Nate had just not gotten hit in the mouth in practice. Now that he's been hit in the mouth, <laughs> maybe he'll take it a little bit more serious if that was, the, if that was the issue. Yeah, okay. I'm going to let you hold on to that. We're going to move on to the next subject. <laughs> Damn. Oh, Nate. Oh, look, <laughs> Come take, on now. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Uh, has been in the media this past week making a request that I found fascinating, basically begging his fans not to stream his show. Now, recently, the Dave Chappelle show came onto Netflix, and it was actually a big deal. It made a splash in the news because everybody now, of course, is going to have an opportunity to rewatch all the classic episodes on Netflix. But then, just as quickly, Netflix pulled it off um, from their repertoire of products. And they put out a public statement basically saying that Dave Chappelle asked them to do so. Dave Chappelle then came out with an Instagram video, making it clear that that was the truth, that he had asked Netflix to do this. And it's because he gets none of the streaming rights uh, or no royalties from his show being streamed because of the contract that he signed. And he made it clear he feels like this is morally wrong, morally abhorrent, and therefore reached out to CBS to say, hey, you know, you all should be cutting me some type of deal for streaming this. And they basically told him to kick rocks. Mm-hmm. And so he asked, um, True fans of his show, please do not stream The Chappelle Show in any way, shape, form, or fashion because the people who are streaming it are screwing me over. They're not paying me my fair due. And if you really love me, if you really care about me, you know, don't help them 
do this. And so Netflix, to make sure that their relationship with Chappelle stayed in a good place, um, pulled that content. And I thought this was fascinating, a real boss move. So I'm, I'm curious, um, Jason, how do you feel about it? Well, I felt kind of bad after he did that because I had actually pulled up that Rick James episode when it was on Netflix, and I was like, damn. I, I was you, about to be on the same thing, bro. I wish you'd asked me that a little earlier. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> I didn't already work around and streamed it. <laughs> I, find, I watched like the first season and it pulled up the second one. Like, I want to see that Rick James episode. So, right. My bad, Dave. I Had I, you said it a little earlier, I would have shut it down. In the grand scheme of it all, I I, I believe that's just what Hollywood does. I mean, it's, it's just like how he kind of explained it where it was – he was in a situation where he was a uh, he was a father at the time. He had a wife and kids, and he was struggling to make money. And I think Hollywood is one of them places that like to take advantage of people, especially when it comes to brothers that are trying to make their way and trying to, you know, say trying to set themselves, become famous or stars and stuff, just like he was. And I think they 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 herd him into these contracts that just basically you know, give themselves up for the cost of a couple bucks that get them out of the hole for a little while. And when you're young like that, you don't ever really see the big picture. And when you get those contracts, you know, it's that thought of, oh, what if I never get another one like this? Or, you know, just I I don't think he had a, a anybody in his corner at the time because when you're young and broke and trying to make something happen, you don't really usually have anybody in your corner that can kind of give you good advice on how to proceed on that type of stuff. So uh, just on the fact that he's held on to that for so long, because it's, I mean, shit, the, the, the Chappelle show was fucking, that was years ago. And I sit here, you sit here, you think about it. Like you, you think the Chappelle show was like a couple years ago. That was like 10 years ago. You know, and for these folks to throw these episodes back out, I remember when that DVD came out. All three seasons, especially with that season where he wasn't there. And they basically threw a season together, a bunch of damn episodes that he never had any intentions on even putting out there. And threw Charlie Murphy and them out there. I, I thought that was like highly disrespectful, especially the way they kind of talked about him and, and drug him in the news and stuff afterwards and shit. Like, so he, he made a decision to walk away from, from something that he never really had that's something that he never really owned and people gave him shit for it. And it's kind of crazy. Like it's, it's funny how you see people going through things and you don't have an understanding, but everybody's really quick to judge on it. And I think it just, I, I think it shows what kind of a person he is that he, he stepped, he stepped away from something that at the end of the day could have put money in his pockets, but could have destroyed him as, being the kind of person that he wanted to be. You know what I mean? Like he 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 chose to walk away from something that I mean shit, he he could have been set. But his conscience and whatnot told him something different. And I think it is I think it stands up for him and I it makes me appreciate him more for being the kind of person to say, you know what, I can walk away from this money knowing that I have my integrity intact. That I have that I have the fortitude to say that my life and what I am is more important than this money you're trying to put in my pocket. And it ain't a whole lot of people out here that can that can do that or say that they would do that. I I myself probably 
probably wouldn't have the fortitude because the money would make Take me feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for, for this, it, for them to be kind of trying to put that back out there to still be trying to take money out of his pockets for something that he created and something that he had more influence on. I, I think it's, I think that's a, that's a player move to go out there. Hey, yo, I ain't getting nothing for this. Y'all, if y'all fans of mine, if you ever had any respect for me, don't watch it. I'm down with that. I I, I have no, like I say, I wish you'd have told me a little earlier, but you know, I ain't watching it, Dave. I didn't buy the DVD or none of that. I watched it over at my brother's house. He bought it when it first came out. So don't blame me for that either. <laughs> Hudson, what about you? How do you feel about it? Well, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, uh, like Jason mentioned, you know, he was 28. Had a kid on the way. He was nervous about that. You know, it, it's half baked. Had had only grossed like seventeen million in the box office or something like that. You know, it was a cult classic, so it didn't make like a ton of money. You know, um, and, and Chappelle he acknowledges that he don't think it was a racial issue. He says the contracts were perfectly legal. He said yes, he did agree to them. You know. He's not saying that they did anything wrong, you know, um, legally. He's just saying it's a little immoral. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't try to break up the contract or, or try to even make this a legal argument, He's, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, what I see in America most of is that people hate frontline workers. People hate entry-level workers. And they hate any of them that ask for more money. You know, and I know people don't think of actors as as entry level positions, but they are, you know, just because some actors only make a box lunch for for their time on the set. They get a lunch and that's it. Possibly a credit in the movie. Maybe, you know, people don't (laughs) understand that that is an entry level position. The real money. The real money is when you get into directing, producing, writing. When you know when you get all into that, then you're making the real money. So, so people don't understand that when when they pay these stars what what we think are large sums of money, you know the the producers are expecting to make tons more than that. They're not going to pay the actor thirty million if they don't think they're about to clear two hundred, three hundred million. Or four hundred million off of this movie. Right. So the love that people seem to have for big corporations and, and big conglomerates is always mind-boggling to me. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of people who say, "Hey, he signed a contract. He should just okay. Oh well." No contracts get renegotiated all the time. You know, and and if he's got the fortitude to say, "Hey." You know, hey, don't don't listen to it. They should be paying me money, and they're not. Don't listen to it. Hey, I say power to him. And and if he's got that, if he's got that kind of pull to be able to make it happen, he had, like you say, he had a great relationship with Netflix, and Netflix said okay. Because Netflix didn't want to mess that relationship up. You know, he's done a, he's done a I think a few specials uh, via Netflix, right? And Netflix yeah. didn't Netflix doesn't want to mess that up. So they had a good relationship and they want to keep that relationship going. You know, at the time, it's understandable. We signed a contract, didn't know, you know, what it was going to be. But I, I think for us not to ask these companies 
to have some sort of a moral standing, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a, a hum, humanistic kind of quality. You know, it is, I, I think it's insane when we, you know, say, uh, you know, hey, well, corporation got over on you, you know, oh, well, you should have known better. They got tons of lawyers at their disposal, tons of people who are trained that doing just this, <laughs> writing these contracts and making it in the best interest of them. And you got Dave Chappelle, who is the little guy in this. He's the little guy. Just because he did make millions, he should have made a lot more millions. You know, and I, I don't hate on him. He should be he should be getting those royalties. He should be getting that money. So for me, you know, if you can do it, do it. If you get them to stop streaming it, do it. Uh, I know I stopped streaming it. All right. I think this whole situation is amazing on two levels. First, you have this guy who, like Jason said, walked away from an opportunity to make millions of dollars on the basis of principle, decided he didn't like the type of person he was becoming and the way his comedy was being perceived and felt like the best thing to do was to just walk away even though he was going to lose out on an incredible amount of money in the process. And it unquestionably damaged his career, damaged the way a lot of people perceived him. He was ridiculed really for years um, until he finally was ready to come back. And then he came back and made a lot more money. <laughs> signed this deal with Netflix and is making money clearly hand over fist and has, has become even more respected as a comic, you know, recently won the Mark Twain Award. He is clearly right back on top, you know, so that's an amazing part of the story. But then we get into this specific situation regarding the royalties for the show that he walked away from, to be a black man who believes in his heart and soul that I can use the power of, of my audience, of the people who are watching my content, I can tell them, don't watch your shit that you're not properly paying me for and believe that this is going to work. You know, because people have tried to create these boycotts before, right? Mm. They, you know, they said boycott Netflix. They ain't paying me what I want to be paid. You know, boycott such and such. And it almost never works. But of course, we've never seen someone ask their audience, boycott my own stuff. You know, but Dave Chappelle basically said, hey, boycott me. <laughs> boycott my show because these people aren't paying me properly. And I think it's working, to be completely honest with you. I think it's working. And I think the power of where he is right now is shown in the fact that Netflix would pull down his content. They didn't have to do that. Mm. They could have easily decided. There has to be a ton of people who love the fact that this was on Netflix and were all too happy to jump on Netflix and watch this content. right? So I don't see it as a small thing. But Netflix said, do we want to take the chance of damaging our relationship with Dave Chappelle by keeping this content up there? And the answer was clearly no. 
It was clearly no. So this man feels like he has, he has a bludgeon. He has a stick that he can use to try to push his way and to get in the royalties he desires. And to see a black man, you know, it's one thing to see black people with power. It's another thing to see them actually use that power in a way that truly benefits themselves and, and, and tries to put them in a better position. I see so many black people that I feel like you're powerful. You don't have to tolerate this. You don't have to just eat this. You don't have to be that, sh that shuffling Negro that we've seen for 30, 40 years, and yet you are, be, are allowing yourself to be put into this position. Why? Why are you doing that? I feel like I see that time and time again. So to see a brother who knows he is powerful and has no problems using that power to make it clear to corporations, no, there's a certain way you will treat me, I love it. I love it. And I hope this is a, an example that other, that other people at that level take to heart and say, you know, you, you, you can't just treat us any old kind of way that you want to. You got to treat us a certain way. Well, you know, I just got finished watching um, the, the full uh, The Last Dance series. And, and you know, one of the people... Oh, Mike Jordan. Right. The one of the people who mm -hmm. obviously, uh, especially if you're from Chicago, you know, one of the people who got grossly underpaid throughout the 90s was Scottie Pippen. Grossly underpaid, grossly taken advantage of by by uh, then GM Jerry Krause and, and the Chicago Bulls. And. And, you know, I think it's one of the major reasons that Jerry Krause had a very unsuccessful rebuild when he broke up the Bulls. The way he treated that team, the way he treated Phil Jackson, and and the way he treated Scottie Pippen. You know, the, the NBA, the, the other players aren't blind to it. Other coaches aren't blind to the way you treat people. So for them, the CUA break up a dynasty who, who probably would have came back for for another run at it, if if you had let them, if you had allowed the door to be open for that, and and be to see how you treated arguably the top five player in the league, if not the second best player in the league at the time, you know to you know to, to see the way what was his contract? It was a gross one, it's seven years for ten million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the, you know, and and a lot of people might say Scotty was was dumb for signing. Scotty was a kid. Yes, he was grown in in age years or whatever, but he was a kid from what Pine Bluff, Arkansas, is where he came. I mean, where did he come from? And a kid with a large family who was looking for him to take care of them. And and it, it's like, uh, you know, for them to they could have renegotiated his contract at any time and said, we're going to treat you right because you are one of our franchise players. There would have not been six championships without Scotty. I don't know if they would have beat the Lakers in the first one without Scotty. You know, when he when he took on Magic Johnson and said, I'm going to guard him this whole series, 
That that's what that they had it then. Without Scotty, who knows? They would have won a championship, I'm sure, maybe two. There's no way they would have won six. And so for me, it's like we constantly we we throw a lot of people throw the anger at athletes at, at this that like they should be so privileged. These owners, these GMs, they are highly privileged. They're the ones who are privileged. If Scotty's making ten million, they're making two hundred million, and that's what people aren't aren't getting with with all. They're using their name, they're using their persona on everything, on every piece of merchandise, on everything they sell, every C, every ticket. You know, they are making they are making some money off of everything that had to do with Scottie Pippen, that had to do with Michael Jordan, and we complain when they when they want more money. Or when they do a walkout, they want a piece of the pie like they should get. And this is what I mean when I talk about brothers and sisters, not only standing up for themselves, but also being willing to use your power to help other people around you. To me, it just doesn't make any sense that Michael Jordan never really stood up and said, y'all got to pay Scotty. Like, it just doesn't make it. And even in that documentary, what does he say? Well, Scottie Pippen was selfish for holding out at the beginning of next season. He wasn't thinking about the team. And I'm looking at that like, nigga, is you crazy? Mm -hmm. Is you crazy, bro? All right? Like, yeah, okay, you're okay with being screwed over in your contract because you're making money hand over fist through endorsement deals and your shoe deals and all this other stuff. Scotty don't have any of that. And you know it. And not only do you know it, you know you need him in order to win this championship. How do you, as the leader of the team, not step up and say, y'all got to do something? I know he signed this contract but it's clearly grossly unfair. You're not going to pay me fine, but you got to do something for him. Because at the end of the day, the he is so grossly underpaid, it is a distraction to the team. For Michael Jordan not to, again, this is a person who, there is no way for the Bulls to punish Michael Jordan. None. They do not have the capability to punish him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. How do you not use that position of power and authority for the betterment of the people around you? Even if you don't care about being race, even if you don't really care about being black, all right? How do you not, if the team means so much to you and you consider yourself the leader of this team, how do you not ensure that the team is not taken properly care of? It, it, it's, it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling. But this is what we have throughout the country. Black people who do not use their power to help the people around them because they're constantly scared of what white people are going to do to them. You know, I, I was at a job, and, and at this job, I, I happened to be... Um, uh, the manager in charge of a few guys at that time, and and I, I and when I first saw my guys' salaries, there was one person in particular. I was like, "Oh my god, what what is this? Why is he only making this when he's my best guy?" I was like, "He's my best guy," 
and I and, and I didn't walk on water like Michael Jordan. You know, I was good at what I do, but I was no Michael Jordan at what I did like Michael Jordan right. does at basketball. Not by a long shot. So I walked in my boss's office said, this has got to change. This has got to change. Reviews are coming up. We need to pay him. <laughs> you know, and I made that stand and said it has to happen. And, and luckily for me, you know, I guess they agreed, you know, and, and they went on ahead and, and they gave him a nice bump. You know, and, and I was I was so happy for that. And I was happy that I was able to make that happen because I, I felt it was grossly unfair. And, um, you know, it's like, are, did they just take advantage of him? Like, I, I don't care how it came about, but we need to pay him now. Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's only so long that, you know, because me and him had become friends, but there's only so long that my relationship with him was going to keep him there. You know, he was staying because he liked working with me and we had great understandings. We were able to work with each other well. But how long was I going to keep asking for that, knowing what he was making, knowing how he was being treated? And I didn't feel right doing it. And I wasn't. Right. And and you give me the same situation all over again. I would do the exact same thing. So I don't you know, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you as living proof that if I got a chance to change something, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I can't understand why Michael, I mean, that was the only thing uh, about Michael Jordan's career where I had huge questions. Like, why would he not, you know, I, I didn't care about that little gambling thing they thought he had a problem with. I didn't even care about the 1990, you know, Senate race in North Carolina that he decided not to speak on. I didn't even care right. about any of that. Everybody in the, in the politics. But, you know, and in fact, we, we found out in this past election, most of the NBA players apparently don't vote anyway. So, but anyway, you know, <laughs> so I guess that's the thing, you know. But anyway, mm -hmm. but what I really cared about is with, with Jordan himself asking so much of his team, you know, why wouldn't he also take the lead on saying, hey, certain people need to get paid? And Scotty was one of them. You know, they saved a grip of money by not paying him. I'll tell you that. So I, so I wonder why they didn't go ahead and get some other stars with that money since they were saving it to, <laughs> to really help Jordan out. But, you know, <laughs> so, man, I, I was disgusted by that, honestly. Moving on to uh, the next subject. Kevin Hart recently came out with a new special. And he's been getting quite a bit of negative feedback about it. A lot of people are saying that it's not funny, that they did not enjoy it, and that it's not, it doesn't really reflect any real effort on his part towards his comedic craft. Kevin Hart came out with a video on Instagram basically saying that he didn't really care about anybody who had uh, negative feedback towards it that if, if um, they wanted to see old Kevin Hart material, they weren't going to go back and look at that. But this is the new Kevin Hart and that they basically need to get with the program. And yeah, it didn't seem like he had any respect really for anybody who had an issue um, 
with the special. And I'm curious, uh, Jason, I think you said you took the time to uh, sit down and listen to it, right? I watched the last one, yeah. Or this one that just came out, yeah. So how'd you uh, feel about the special overall? I, like I say, I thought it was funny. I didn't think... Uh, I didn't think it was like one of his best ones, but I thought it was funny. It had his little moments. He had a couple of good little jokes here and there and stuff that he kind of, you know, commented on and stuff. And uh, I mean, it was okay. I, I, nothing that I'd, uh, you know, rant and rave over. I, I think, uh, I think somebody had uh, made a comment was like, uh, uh, what, uh, what jokes do you remember? <laughs> so, I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just usually the mark of a good good show or a good uh, special or whatever. So he had a couple in there that, I, that we, we kind of joke about around that because me and my wife, we watched it together. So I, uh, it wasn't astronomical. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't one of those ones like I know he likes to come out and say, you know, I'm changing up the game. This is going to be the game changer. This wasn't that. But it was funny. So here's my question. One of the people who had some negative feedback about it online was Tariq Nasheed, right? Mm -hmm. And Kevin Hart felt strongly enough about what Tariq Nasheed said on Twitter that he retweeted him directly and basically was like, I don't have to, I don't care about your opinion. You know, you do what you do. I'll do what I do, blah, 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 blah. And Tariq Nasheed then consequently did a live video for about an hour talking about the Kevin Hart special and Kevin Hart overall, right? And one of the things he said that I thought was kind of interesting is he said he felt like Kevin Hart doesn't actually talk about anything, that the mark of a really good comedian is someone who can take these serious situations or things that are going on in the world right now and make insightful comedic jokes about what's happening. But Kevin Hart really um, focuses more on what's real physical or theatrical comedy, and he doesn't really have anything to say. And it was actually the um, criticism that Cat Williams also made. He's basically like, you've got Trump, the pandemic, George Floyd, protest. You've got so many things that have happened all throughout 2020. Clearly someone who was coming out with a comedy special in November of 2020 is going to have a ton of things to say. And it's going to have some real insightful comedic perspective about everything that's going on. But one of the criticisms that was made is that you're not really getting that at all from Kevin Hart's series. How did you feel about it? Did you feel like, you know, he really had something to say? Well, I to make all those comments or to, to say that about his comedy, you would have to have seen that before from him. And I don't remember a comedy special where he's ever hit on any kind of cultural stuff or anything that's happening in the news or politics, anything like that. That's not the kind of comedy he does. So why would you expect it from him? Or why would you why would you have the expectations of that from him? It's just not what he does. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of comedians out here that don't do that. And there are a lot of comedians that do. And they've all successful with the lanes that they're in. And 
for him to step out and start trying to make jokes about the stuff, I think honestly would probably be a little weird. Especially if it's something that he's never practiced doing or anything like that. It it basically be like starting over from the very beginning. Which doesn't make sense for him to do. So like if what you had or what you've done over the last fifteen some years is what's gotten you your success, why would you really change it? It 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 would I, I I could see maybe if he decided to experiment with some different type of comedy, but I wouldn't do a special on it. <laughs> like that's something that you go. It's like Dave Chappelle. Like he talks about how he goes to like clubs in San Francisco and stuff like that just to test out material. Like that's not something that you do when you try to sell and market whatnot. You you're going out and you're trying to do something new. You do that amongst a bunch of people and whatnot who will either boo you for a couple bit or or give you some honest feedback. So to have that expectation that Kevin Hart doesn't touch on events that are happening in the now would be dumb. Like, why Why would you even make, why would you put that expectation on him? So even without that, having that as an expectation, does it make you feel any sort of way about his comedy? Do you feel like it makes him a weaker comedian? that he doesn't touch on that or you feel like that's just not his lane and that he can still be one of the best but I think that he is what he is like everybody who does comedy has their opinions on or at least they have the way about going about what their comedy is Bill Burr touches on aspects about everything when it comes to politics uh, women all that good stuff Uh, when you got Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle can hit on anything and 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 I like him for what he does. Kevin Hart, what he what he jokes about and when he has comedy about, I have laughed. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's some stuff that he talks about that is relatable. It doesn't mean that it has to be heavily important. I don't consider like when he talks about his family, his kids, like something that's astronomical, or anything in the news. He's talking about what he knows and he and he makes fun of it. And what he makes fun of, I, I can relate to. So anything that's relatable and that I can understand, I don't think that anybody should be told that they can't be great at doing it. Hell, Sinbad fucked around and talked about talked about relationships and stuff like that and didn't curse or anything like that in his comedies and stuff like that. And he became very successful with it. Right. So, you know, everybody has their lane and everybody does what they do. And to to it to step out of your lane to comment on how somebody else's comedy should be or to criticize what they do, I think that that says something about you. Like maybe you a little maybe you a little upset at the fact that his brand of comedy became successful and yours didn't, or at least you had an opportunity. Like we talking about Cat Williams. Cat Williams had an opportunity to be one of the largest comedians in the world, but he kept fucking up in his life. Now, I'm not sitting here and I'm not going to sit here and judge him or anything like that, but when you take a gun to the airport, that's going to throw a fucking monkey wrench in the shit you're trying to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and to come out and talk about somebody else and whatnot is further taking you away from where you need to be going. (laughs) You can sit here and you you can comment about Kevin Hart, but Kevin Hart is still pushing. He's still pushing in what he does and how he does things, and he keeps pushing forward. 
he makes horrible movies, but he seems to be making money off of them. <laughs> he, he does big, stupid stadium events and whatnot that might not necessarily be funny to a whole lot of people. But he sold out the damn stadium and he made his money. The motherfucker does what? What, what, what is it? Capital Citibank or Capital One? He does commercials p- popping out credit cards. I see him on the TV and shit all the time. He's doing what he got to do and whatnot to get himself to where he want to be. And I'm not going to be mad at him for it. And never have I heard him ever say that I'm the best, I'm the best comedian out here. I'm the funniest dude out here. I've never heard him say that. I've heard him say he's famous, which is true. I've heard him say that he works his ass off, which he does. I've never heard him make the claim that he's the funniest comedian out there. Never heard him make the claim. Now, granted, him jumping online and getting pissed off at a bunch of people and whatnot for, you know, criticizing him and stuff, I think kind of takes away from the title of your special. Because if you ain't got no fucks to give, you probably shouldn't give a fuck what anybody think about you. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't know where he is right now. Maybe maybe he's feeling a certain kind of way about people talking. Because I'm pretty sure folks been talking shit about him for years. As, as as high as he keeps climbing and shit, there's plenty of people that talk shit about him. And I've never heard him, like, lash out before. Like, it, I find it interesting that he did at this particular time. And I'm wondering, like, why, like, why it seems so much more personal now when the people are saying things about him. I don't know if he, he feels a certain way about the, what this special meant to him or something like that. But I think he needs to just keep going. Like, people been talking shit about you for the longest time, bro. And you're still right. making your money. So if you're making your money, make your bread. And as long Hudson, as you're comfortable you with it? yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hudson, were you able to see the special? Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought it was funny. I mean, uh, you know, when, uh, what I'm trying to figure out is that Kevin Hart's not up there telling not-not jokes. You know what I mean? He's not telling chicken or the egg, which came first jokes. He, he's sitting there pointing at things that happen in life. So for someone to say, you know, great comedians find a way to point at events and, and things like that, it's like, what, what events is he not pointing at? He's just not pointing at specific ones that are, that are your particular headlines. You know, it, it's, he pointed at relationships with your, with your daughter and, and thinking about her dating life. Right, which a lot of fathers think about. He pointed, he did talk about the pandemic and pointed at his own experiences with the pandemic. You know, he he he's talked about every, everything he talked about on that special are issues that people face, that real people face. You know, he talked about being being famous, but not as famous as other people, and how he feels about that. He talked about how getting that thing changed and, and how it's how it's evolved over time with social media and the cancel culture. Like he's talking about issues. So it's not like he's sitting there, like I said, telling these, he's not being Molary and Curly on the stage. You know, he's, I mean, he's not doing slapstick comedy up there. So, so it, it, what he sounds like it's a fan perspective. It's just not his brand of comedy. So, which is fine, but I don't think it, it warrants say it's not a good stand-up. Um, there was one stand-up he did that I liked better than this one, but I think this one was good. 
when when he was talking about the when, uh, honestly when he was talking about the the thing about the uh uh the um the texting with his with his boys <laughs> you know i pictured us i right away pictured us and i was like that's exactly how we do it and that thing was funny as shit and i was laughing my ass off at it when he was talking about uh jose in the hospital <laughs> you know that whole bit was laughing my ass off I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm thinking, like, who are these people that's that's coming down? Like, I can understand if you say, you know, it's just not your thing, but to say it's not funny, just see, that was a stretch to me. You know, you can say it's not as good as something he's, else he's done. And honestly, I can't think of a single comedian that I've listened to their stand-up specials, specials of that nature, where it's either in a bit stadium or it's or it's uh, he had it in an intimate setting, but it was meant for like a bit stadium, just an intimate setting. I can't think of a single comedian where I was like, eh, this one was eh, it was okay. I can't think of a single comedian that I haven't felt that way about. So there's no comedian where I've liked every stand-up that they've had. Mm. And and Kevin Hart's the same way. I wasn't going to like every stand-up because some things weren't going to relate to me. But this one, it happened to have a lot of stuff that related to me. And no, he didn't talk about Trump. No, he didn't talk about the election. No, he didn't talk about all that other stuff that is easy pickings and, and low-hanging fruit. No, he didn't talk about it. But so what? Does every comedian have to in order to be funny? That seems very one-dimensional to me. And and I don't think that gives fans enough credit to be different people. So, you know, one of the things I remember hearing about was that, you know, he doesn't do a good job talking about, really talking about how he's made money and, and, it, and it changed him or this, that. I think he talked about it in this special very well. I think he talked about it. He addressed it. He talked about it. So I don't think he has trouble talking about it. Now, the only thing I'll say is that he didn't get the practice in on this one that I'm sure he's got no other specials. And that affected him. I think that affected him. Now, you add in those laugh traps or something like that Jason was talking about while we were texting back and forth about it or talking on the phone or whatever. I think that would have helped overshadow that. But other than other than a few miscues like that, I, I think it was a quality stand-up. So I, I didn't get what, what they were saying. I had a totally different take from, from that. In fact, I didn't even find it. By the time I looked it up, there was something totally different <laughs> in the news about, about Kevin Hart's stand-up that had nothing to do with people liking it or not liking it. <laughs> it was totally different. You know, I, Interesting. I, I think we should talk about that definitely. <laughs> what was in the news? Basically, his comments about he he basically suggested that his daughter had some whole tendencies, and uh, whoa, yeah. So so it was a part in there where basically basically he was uh, basically he was talking about how his daughter was talking about liking some uh, a boy, and. And when he talked to her the next day, I guess, she's like, I don't like that boy no more. I like this boy now. And then when he talked to her the next day, well, I don't like that boy anymore. I like a totally different third boy now. And he was like, oh, my Lord, I, I think she got some whole tendencies, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't know how many, but some people had some backlash on that one. 
that that's what I saw in the news when I when so I father's worst fear. You know, well that's the thing, and and people were very against it, saying, "How could you say that about your daughter?" And how could she? And how could you? Well, the well the biggest issue is that you know is how do you say that about women? This is a normal thing that kids in general have. Hey, I I don't like this person. Now I like this person. Kids change their minds and things like that. Especially uh uh, uh I don't know if she how was, old is his daughter? She's fifteen now. I don't know if she was fifteen at the time. I have to listen back. I don't even know if he mentioned her age. I don't think he did. But but you know he's people are saying this is like a normal thing with hormones girls are you know indecisive kids in general indecisive hey i like this one now i don't like this one anymore and so they were it was a lot of backlash because of it i did see a lot of them comments too on that where it seems like these folks was trying to come to the daughter's defense and shit. i wonder how she felt about that i bet she felt a certain kind of way it was easier for him to make them jokes about his kids when they was babies because they didn't have an opinion. But now that they're older, now that they're older, they live with him. That's their fucking father. I'm pretty sure he fuck around and joke around with their asses about shit like that all the fucking time. How the fuck? And that's the shit that bothers me about that too. It's like y'all have these all these outside opinions. It's it's fucking comedy. When you start reading into shit and you start making dumbass comments about, I wonder what how his daughter felt about that. I think she felt just fucking fine because dad is bringing home millions of fucking dollars and making her life very fucking comfortable. I'm pretty sure his daughter ain't got one fucking problem with dad's jokes. Stop getting in the way of it. Stop getting in the way of dad's success. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, man, don't don't worry about me. I'm good. Kill your motherfucking self. I, I can't stand that shit. Like, everybody always takes... And that's the problem with it is when it comes to comedy and shit. It's like so many motherfuckers try to put all this real shit on a joke. It's a joke. Either laugh or don't and move the fuck on. Have you ever seen a joke that you felt like did go too far? Where you felt like this dude, somebody needs to tell him, like, nah, you shouldn't have said that, bro. I've I've heard jokes from certain comedians where I where I feel like I get a little bit more insight into who they are. Mm-hmm. Like like lately, well not lately. I haven't heard it lately, but I know maybe for the last couple of years I've heard a lot of white comics that like to use the word nigga. Mm-hmm. And then they like to throw it into this jokingly type deal and it turns into this thing. It's just a word. It's just a word. Yeah, but you still shouldn't be fucking using it. Whether it's a joke or not, like sometimes like I feel like you can't go a little too far, especially when you're trying to lighten up or you're trying to make light of something. Like especially like that and whatnot. Like I I feel that's a little bit in poor taste when it comes to that because that's, that's a word that was set up for a reason. Like, do you remember when, um, this was years ago, but there's a, a radio host. I think his name was Don something. And he was looking at a clip of some uh, black sports athletes or black female sports players. And he called, said that they look like a bunch of nappy headed hoes. I remember that. And then he Don basically Imus. lost his ra- There we go. Don Imus. And he basically lost his radio stay, uh, show over that. Like when that whole thing went down, did you feel like the criticism was warranted? Or did you feel like, bro, he's a comedian. He's just making fun of them. People, y'all need to let it go. Don, Don <laughs> Imus was not a comedian. 
That was their coach, wasn't it? No, he, no, he, he just a, he was a, he was a white man on the radio. He wasn't even a comedian. But wasn't he supposed to be like a comedic type of guy on no, the radio? Not no, no. Really? Don, the Don Imus show, I, if I'm not mistaken, his show was more political than anything else. Oh. Yeah, Don Imus was not a comedian. He didn't do like stand-up okay. or no shit like that. So when he said that shit, it, it was just an old white man behind the mic talking shit. So let me do another example then. What about, uh, did you ever see the clip of Kramer when there were two black women in the audience yeah. who I guess were heckling him during his show? And then he made the joke about, you know, a few years ago, y'all would have been swinging on trees, you know, for talking to me this way. Yeah, somebody, I don't remember the, the exact problem, joke he made. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> the problem with that particular stand-up is none of that shit was rehearsed. He ain't had none of that right. written down. He no, he no, went he, off because he got mad at the two sisters in the audience. But but hold on, but but that's true. But and, and, and you're correct; it was not rehearsed. Mm-hmm. But it was a joke. It, now it was completely off the cuff, and it was completely like he put that together on the spot. But it was a joke yeah. that he put on the spot. <laughs> Do you feel like he deserved the criticism and the backlash that he got for his off-the-cuff joke that he made towards these two black women heckling him? I, I want to be careful on how I put this because I've 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 listened to angry comedy. Right? <laughs> but on the spot angry comedy, I think is a little yeah. different. As opposed Why? to somebody sitting down and writing it. And when you get pissed off because these two niggas is up front bothering me in the middle of my show, I'm going to make some jokes about these niggas, which he repeated many, many times. Think it's a little different. Just a little different. Like, I I, I know Angry Com. I, I've listened to George Carlin, and he's even used the word nigga, and it hadn't offended me as much as fucking Kramer, because Kramer snapped the fuck off. He was mad because the niggas <laughs> in the front of the audience was fucking up his show. That's why he started going in on them and using the mm-hmm. word and shit. So I think it's a little different. Okay, that right there. And if you can't handle the heckling and shit, maybe you shouldn't be on stage. If anything, now when you went off into this realm, a nigga, 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 this, nigga, that, and you gonna swing for some trees and shit. I think that just led into a little bit of what's going on in Kramer's mind. That's slightly different when we compare it to like, because we're talking about did did uh, Kevin Hart's joke go too far? And and from my perspective, mm-hmm. his joke didn't go too far. What I and and what I told people is that what I think is that he's not making fun of his daughter. I think he's making fun of himself and his reaction to his daughter. Because he even mentions I went to go see those boys, and I totally understand. Why she said, screw Matt. I want, I want Jason now. Oh, wait, screw Jason. I want Tommy. I totally get it. You know, and I think he was making fun of himself at that point and saying my reaction was just kind of, you know, <laughs> was overreacting. And and I think and I think people I think as a joke, I don't think he went too far. And I and I think what people often do is they attack the person instead of the mentality. And I think this joke is a perfect thing to use as a talking point and say, hey, a lot of men do think that way. You know, if their son came home 
and said, hey, well, I don't like Lisa no more. I like Tammy. I don't like Tammy no more. I like, you know, it, a lot of men will have a different perspective on their sons doing it versus mm-hmm. their daughters. And I think that's a real thing for a lot of men. Um, I'm in a father's group. I see it all the time. <laughs> they, they got some very, you know, some very 1920s type thinking when it comes to their daughters. He made and a joke so, about that too. When he was talking about... Uh... I forget what they called it when when he was at the movie theater. His his nephew or something told him yep. he, he went to the, the movies, and the, his girlfriend had him get a large like box of popcorn, and they had it stuck his dick up through it. I, what did he call it? I can't remember what he said. I it was can't called. remember the butter a buttery off. something. The, the, the butter. <laughs> I can't <laughs> remember what it was. It was a buttery something. And he said like, <laughs> man, he mentioned it to his wife, and his wife knew about it. He had never heard nothing about it. So he was like, fuck it, they did it. He had to check and see if his kids knew. And he messed around and he mentioned it in some way and whatnot and looked at his daughter and she was like, I don't know what that was. But his son was over there like, yeah. yeah you got to Don't get that butter in your pee hole or something. Like, it was funny as hell. Just like, yeah, he did mention that. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. and, and that's, I, I think when we take these jokes and don't use it as a way to, hey, you know, this is the human condition. You know, if we don't like it, maybe we ought to have some conversations and try to try try to get try to get around it. But instead, the attack is on Kevin Hart when millions of men think this way, not just black, mm-hmm. but white. But but, you know, Middle Eastern, African, tons of men everywhere think this way. So and, and I don't think it's a correct way to think when it comes to women versus men. If you think a woman is a slut for doing something, you should think men are sluts for doing the exact same thing. You know, if that's your standard, Absolutely. that's your standard. So, and then when you sit there and you think about that too, like if you see and you just put it that way, Hudson. If that doesn't seem profound enough for you, I don't. Hell, like you say, like every father. I mean, shit. If I if my daughter came home and told me about four separate dudes in a four day span, the fuck going on at the school? <laughs> we probably had that thought you know what I mean so it's to say that that's not profound enough for you or that doesn't mean anything or he ain't saying nothing he just said plenty enough to me I can relate to that yeah right absolutely okay maybe it just don't relate to you maybe 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 you ain't think about your daughter and whatnot when you took the gun to the airport cat uh cat I don't know I don't know what the fuck you was doing <laughs> but don't get mad at him for bringing it up and shit. It, it resonated with me. It was fucking funny. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, as always, we talk about the NFL and the Bears. I think this is going to be kind of quick because I think we're all kind of disgusted with yeah, him at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, but I just want to say that, um, oh God. you know, the hope was that Mitch Trubisky would have learned from. Uh, Foles' time as leader of the Bears and that some of that championship culture would have been internalized. And I think it's clear that that is definitely not the case. And I think it's completely obvious that the Bears continue to suffer from poor offensive line play and, frankly, poor coaching. I think Matt Nagy has done a horrible job this season. And I think he's damaged Trubisky's confidence. I think he's failed to utilize Foles in the position for the time that we have them. And 
Um, I've, I've lost a lot of my confidence in him as someone who should be in charge of this team and in charge of the play calling because it just doesn't seem like he has what it takes to get us to this next level. I think it was an absolutely embarrassing performance against the Packers and that we're too talented a team to play to the level that we did. And it was just it was just unfortunate and disgusting to watch. Jason, what's your perspective? I'm finished with I'm just done with the season. I I'm pretty much done with it. Uh every time somebody brings the bears up to me, I I I've I've reverted back to what it was for the last twenty some decades. It's been off and on. We're going to keep searching for these coaches. We're going to keep searching for quarterbacks. We're going to keep searching for GMs. We're going to we're going to go through a process in this city, and we're not going to see anything from the Bears organization for a very long time until either they sell the team to somebody who wants to win, or they just shut the entire organization down. Which, unfortunately, I kind of see that happening too. Kind of like how the Browns just left and went to to Baltimore. And Cleveland didn't have a football team anymore. I kind of see that happening here in Chicago. I think that the Bears could become a tainted team. Could be could be something that the McCaskies have held on to for so long that people might not want. I I certainly hope that wouldn't be the case. I don't have anything to back that up, but I mean, I doubt it because we're still selling out the stadium on a regular basis. Yeah, but the shit, even fucking the, even the state. I mean, the, the fucking seats in the stadium are fucking even ridiculous. That's how you could tell that it almost seems like the management really doesn't really care, so long as they keep getting money at Chicagoans. We went to a Buffalo game and we spent eighty bucks on tickets and had wonderful seats. Yep. You go to Chicago and shit. You spend you you spending three hundred for nosebleed. Which, and that's embarrassing. You can go to we've we've gone to a wait that, that, that Detroit game we went to. We were sitting in the end zone. We paid a hundred bucks for them tickets apiece. Had wonderful seats and had a great time at a, at at a shit team. Detroit ain't been shit forever, but they they not fuck around and overcharging their fans. They still make their fans feel comfortable and welcome. You know what I mean? Hell, they built them a fucking wonderful damn stadium. And shit, and we and us as Chicagoans, we 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 deal with what they're gonna give us. And you can tell how they treat us at this point. Like I can only imagine how much tickets are gonna cost come next year. Especially before the season starting, this corona thing and whatnot end up going away, or if the, if it's if there's a chance for to fill up the stadium again, that's a home game will be impossible. Unless you just got some dough. <laughs> Hell, just the shit that they mentioned to me at one point in time where somehow I got a phone call about getting uh, private seats on what they wanted and price for that because you'd have to pay for the seats and you still got to buy a ticket for the game. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. So I'm paying money for these seats, but I can't even Mm -hmm. use them unless I got tickets? Mm Mm-hmm. So the the whole organization at this point, is the whole thing is embarrassing. And it's just it's I did it, it's rough too because I I don't want to sit here and say I don't want to be a Bears fan no more but they make it hard not to but I shit I don't see myself rooting for nobody else I didn't bought too much Bears shit I 
I got flags and shit. I got fucking a million damn hats, and I've been doing this shit for 20-some years. I can only hope that I live long enough like Cubs fans did, where they just they held on for as long as they could. Like, please. please. I can only imagine how these motherfuckers just, just laid down and died after they won that championship in 2016. Like, oh, I can go now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the saddest thing, right? We're not that far away. Like, technically, in a couple of years, we could be right there in the thick of things. If they put the correct pieces in place, it's not like we're just this horrible team that is a million miles away from ever being able to compete. Here's how I could have hope for it. If you could find somebody or if you could find an interview or somebody can mention how they can go from where they were in 2018 and how they became what they are now. If if you could find somebody that can explain that difference to me, even not even now, the very next year, they went from 12 and four in 2018 to what was it? Five and something? Eight and eight. The very next year. Like they, how do you, how do you go from being a pinnacle team, a, a Super Bowl possible team to just completely mediocre? And they haven't even made that many changes. Maybe a coach here and there, a, a particular player. I keep um, the reason for that change is clear. And it's one that I keep repeating to you over and over again. And you keep ignoring me every time I explain it to you. We lost our premier safety and it completely changed the makeup of the team. We've had this discussion Many, many, many times. So you before. telling me the difference between twelve and four and eight and eight was a safety? It was just him. He was not. It was not just any safety, bro. He was a brother who had the speed to stop those plays that could have been touchdowns. A lot of those. Hey, this is about to be a touchdown. Were stopped. Adrian Amos was, was a strong fast. safety. Yes, but he was fast enough where he could cover the field and make up for some of those miscues that were happening in the secondary. Listen to what I'm saying. The, uh-huh. the per- at that point in time when it was when it was Eddie Jackson and it was Adrian Amos, yeah. a yeah. strong safety plays the line. A strong safety is mostly a run defense guy. He's basically Most another linebacker. So Most all them the- plays that they was making back there was all Eddie Jackson because he was paying his natural position. I understand what you're saying, but what I'm telling you is he had the speed where even though he was supposedly playing the run, he was still fast enough to make up for mistakes that were happening out in the secondary. That is how blazing fast he was. He was running out there and stopping potential touchdowns, and we lost that when we let him go to the Packers. We lost that 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 functionality of our defense, and we have never been the same since. And that ruined the entire team. It, it, it didn't ruin it completely. We were still 8-8, so we didn't have a losing season, but it completely took us out of real championship contention, and it made us a significantly worse team overall. Okay. I'm going to go back and look at some tape and see all these – do that, brother. Look at some tape. Amos. Look at his stats. Because I remember that it was mostly was, Eddie back there in the backfield. I remember that much. He, <laughs> I don't. he was an he was an absolutely critical cog of our defense, and we let him go. 
and his absence is still felt even in 2020. Hudson, what were you about to say? Well, from my perspective, right, 2018, what you had was you had you had a Mitch Trubisky who really didn't know Nagy's system. And Nagy was forced to almost let Trubisky kind of play a run and gun type of thing. And they were forced to use him along with Cohen, right? That line was shaky. And you could see it when they tried to run the ball with, who was it, Jordan Howard? Mm-hmm. Whenever they tried to run with him, you could see that that line was shaky. You could see it then. And what I keep telling people is that Trubisky's ability to run and having Cohen out there really covered up that line. It made that line look better than what it was. Now, that line was still better than what it is today, but not as good as people think. That line had problems. But when you got Cohen and Trubisky back there who could break a play for 20 yards with their legs just from out in the backfield, it's a little easier to cover up little discrepancies on that line. Now, here's what also happened in 2018. We had Goldman and we had Hicks healthy most of that year. Here's what we had in 2019. They decided that Trubisky knew the playbook well enough to try to do those plays that Nagy wanted to do. They decided that they could try to make Trubisky more of a pocket presence and not the run-and-gun Trubisky that they had going in 2018. So Trubisky stood back there and kept fucking up, right? Also, the line didn't look as good because Trubisky just stood back there fucking up. Now, sometimes Trubisky would run it, and that was okay. Plus, they started calling plays specifically for Trubisky to run, which would fuck it up because the line couldn't block, right? They also stopped using Cohen. Cohen was used very little in 2019. Now, here's the other part on the defensive end. Not only did we change coordinators, but we lost Hicks for a good chunk of the year. And that was tough on that line. Now, let's fast forward to last week's game. Last week's game, let's see what happened. Last week, we had no defensive line. And yeah. I didn't know this. I didn't know this until until right before because I, I didn't know that Hicks was not going to play. Right? I didn't know how serious his injury was. But when I heard that he wasn't going to play right before the game started, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Our best defensive lineman out there was Urban. That was our best lineman out there last week. And that is a sorry sack of shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Urban is not a good lineman. And they showed it on the first drive. The Packers. Damn, bro, you couldn't even give him a little bit of respect. The Packers <laughs> ran completely up the middle. And on the first yeah. replay, you saw Urban getting the getting his ass blocked the hell out the way. <laughs> on the first replay, you saw it. And Urban has no presence in there. Urban's okay when he had Hicks standing next to him. Without Hicks. Hits really hold that line together. Dalvin Cook would have got 200 yards on the ground if Hits wasn't in that game most of the game. This is true. So we have to remember what happened in July. In July, Goldman opted out of the season. Now, what should management have done 
the moment Goldman said he was not going to play this season. They should have went and got a credible lineman to be on that line. They did not. They did not. So they left. So they decided to leave Hicks and Harris there. And Harris is okay. He's good enough to be next to Goldman and Hicks and still do a little damage. You know, and I would even say he played well enough to consider himself being a starter. But here's the thing. Harris went out with season, with a shoulder injury for the season. So now Harris is gone. So now Hicks is the only one left. He single-handedly held that line together with glue and bubble gum. And now he was gone. Dude, they called Hicks' name more throughout that game than any lineman we had out there. Yeah, they did. They had no reason to call any of the other linemen's names. And Hicks was on the sideline. Okay, so... So what did we expect? What did we expect? It's the same thing that's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball when you got no linemen. You ain't going to do shit. And the defense didn't do shit. Okay? The, the, they were up in the second level before anybody even knew what was going on. Hmm. They did not have to adjust their plays for any linemen. With Goldman in there, you got a double Goldman if you expect to run the ball. And you got double hicks if you expect to run the ball. You got to. <laughs> and that's how a Bears got a lot of their success, especially in 2018. Those linemen disrupted every damn play, which made it a lot easier for the linebackers and a lot easier for the for the secondary. I agree with everything that you're saying, but everything that you're saying has to do with running the ball. All right, but it was but it was Rodgers. Ooh. Why are you looking at me crazy like that? I'm just waiting to see where you're going with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Roger. It's Rogers who was throwing them them bombs on us and getting those touchdowns that was basically embarrassing the shit out of us. And that goes back to the lack of Adrian Amos out in the backfield. We had it's eight not hurries about it. in that game. That's eight hurries. We never hit the quarterback. We had eight pressures that entire game there was no lineman to put any pressure on aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers could stand back there and pick him apart no i I don't this part this part i don't don't agree with hicks does not i don't really feel like hicks helps with pressure all that much to be honest with you hicks is amazing for run defense but there have been multiple games this season where hicks was in the lineup and we still got no pressure against the defense. Like I, I don't feel like that's a direct correlation. To be honest with you, games and look at the stats. They get tons of pressures and hits on the quarterback in each game, and hits draws a double team every time, which helps to get other players moving. Without hits, there's nobody on that line to double team. I 100% agree with you that the defense is not as good when Hicks is in. But I feel like the loss to the Packers has more to do with our loss of Adrian Amos than not having Hicks out on the field. I feel like he would have made a bigger difference because when when Rodgers is out there slinging the ball around and throwing these passes, Adrian Amos is the one who could help shut that down with his speed 
and his just understanding of the football field. Whereas with Hicks, he'll be up front and he'll make it harder for for them to run, but he's not necessarily disrupting what Aaron Rodgers is able to do. It's it's not the same. Uh huh. So so in all of that, so the defense obviously wasn't going to get anywhere, <laughs> and, and that was obvious. Now on the offensive side of the ball, right, especially that first and second series, Trubisky was actually getting the ball moving, and and Montgomery would not have had that fifty-seven yard run if there wasn't the threat of Trubisky taking that ball and running with it. That little split-second difference of them thinking Trubisky might take that ball and run it gave an opening for, for Montgomery. Okay, so so the line actually looked better this game. Yeah, I think it was because Trubisky was in there because he can run it, which means – but there's the other problem. That means Trubisky only gets in his own way. So Trubisky made his usual errors in throwing into double coverage. And and here's the problem. When mistakes happen, right, Trubisky seems okay until a certain type of mistake happens. And the mistake happened early. It's when Montgomery had just did that 57-yard run and Trubisky threw it twice to the end zone. And both times it was dropped. One by Komet, one by Robinson. They both dropped touchdowns right there in the end zone. Mm -hmm. And and I think that shook them because instead of 14-7, it ended up 14-3. And now Trubisky thinks he's got to do all this Superman shit and ends up throwing it into double coverage and had nowhere to throw it because Mooney was covered on both sides, inside and outside. Even a perfect quarterback couldn't put that ball in a place where only Mooney could get to it. And Mooney is not the type of guy to go up against double coverage to, to bring a ball down. That's not what he's supposed to do. That's, you're supposed to depend on Robinson to do that. Hmm. <laughs> Mooney, you're supposed to expect him to outrun everybody and <laughs> zoom that ball. But he was covered. And they did that multiple times in the game where they're trying to force it double coverage when they should have checked it down. And these are mistakes these are things that Nick Foles was doing. So there's something going on here that's just, I, you know. Now, in Nick Foles' defense, he's standing back in the pocket. They know to tee off on him every time. So that's what they do. They tee off on him so Foles don't have the time. But Trubisky, they lay back because they don't know if he's going to run. They spend time trying to contain him. Trubisky had the time. But he just decided to throw in the double coverage because, oh, well, let me just sling it downfield and show how far I can throw. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, that's the problem. If Trubisky could settle down and, and Nagy waits too long to settle him down. Nagy went and settled him down, and that's when he got the first touchdown. That's when they, they got their 10 points, and that was the last real points they got. The other two touchdowns were garbage touchdowns. So, you know, but they played it in a way that's that's how they should be playing the whole game, right? During the garbage time, you get 10-yard chunks, 15-yard chunks. Well, during the game, you need to try to get five-yard chunks, you know, four-yard chunks. Get that dump pass until you can open it up for a long ball. But they're not patient enough. Now, I think, Jason, I think you said that last time we were on the podcast. They're not patient enough. 
they decided all of a sudden they got to throw it deep into double triple coverage there was one in the triple coverage it's like like come on man you don't see all them guys right there <laughs> so you know, they uh, all in all they they i mean there was some promise in those first couple drives you know it's just though he makes those major mistakes but he has the ability that he can keep a pass rush at bay because people think he'll run it but he doesn't know how to use that and be able to actually get consistent games on the field. And I think it's because mentally he just, he checks out. Once it, once a mistake's made, even if he didn't make the mistake, he, he feels like he's in some type of quicksand and he can't get out of it. It's confidence shot. And that's coaching to me. Like the coaches should be trying to build back up that confidence. But at the end of the day, the coaches don't have confidence in them. So how can you build up your how can you build up the confidence of someone who you don't feel confident in? You can't. Well, management clearly don't know what the hell they're doing because last year when Hicks missed all those games, I would have said I need to get some backup on the defensive line in case this happens again. And when mm-hmm. Goldman said I'm not going to play this season because of COVID, again they should have got some backup, some credible backup on that defensive line, and they did. Now Harris is out for the season, and Hicks is out for I don't know how many games. And now they have no line, no line to speak of, just a bunch of bodies that are just sitting out there to get ravaged every week. <laughs> Sell the whole thing, start over from scratch. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm at with it at this point. Just Because next season and shit, we play for that first draft pick like the Jets did, and we just, yeah. I don't even want another damn draft. I don't want a draft pick. I don't want no motherfucker out of college because all we gonna be dealing with is the same shit. Because they're gonna grab, they gonna draft some motherfucker out of college. They're gonna put him with some fuck fuck ass coach and shit that don't know how to fucking use the kid. That boy, exactly. just, uh, yeah, just 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 push the reset button on the whole goddamn organization. I'm- Ted Phillips got to go. He's had a bunch of chances at hiring a GM and ain't hired a good. So Ted Phillips got to go. Let somebody else hire the new GM. Ain't he married to one of them Hallises or something? That's, that's the problem. There's too many of these motherfuckers that's related to each other. Give them an out-of-the-way desk job, a, a phony job, you know, like they gave John Patson over there with the Bulls. They gave you just some <laughs> phony job to get you out of the way. Give them some job, get them out of the way, and get somebody in there who, could, who knows how to hire. Yeah. We... We can only hope, brothers, but for now it seems like the Bears are going to continue to be an embarrassment both to us and the NFL at large. The hope is fleeting. The whole division sucks except for the Packers right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off.